This episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast is brought to you by Monahans Marine. We recently partnered with Monahans and are excited to be working with a local marine business that has been serving the South Shore of Massachusetts since 1961. For decades, the crew at Monahans has been helping generations of boat owners with outboard parts, boat service, marine equipment, and fishing tackle. Their professionalism and passion for being on the water has made them one of the most reputable boating headquarters in the Northeast. Monahans is located on Washington Street in Weymouth, and they are currently a Jones Brothers and Tidewater Boats retailer and have the most well-stocked inventory of Yamaha outboards, parts, and rigging in mass. The entire staff and crew of technicians have decades of experience, and as a recent addition, Monahans has built and rigged out a brand new 4,000 square foot offshore and inshore fishing tackle shop. They are fully stocked with everything needed for offshore canyon fishing, nearshore bluefin tuna fishing, striped bass fishing, and more. We're excited to be able to use this new space as a home base to maintain our own tackle and charter fishing fleet, as well as use it as a spot to film some upcoming podcasts and workshops. As a part of this partnership, Monahans has been generous enough to give all listeners a discount on anything in their store and facility. So when shopping at Monahans, if you use promo code MBG24 at checkout, you'll receive 10% off any purchase in their tackle or marine department. To learn more about Monahans Marine, their location, boat and engine inventory, or parts, visit monahansmarine.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mass Bay Guides. Mass Bay Guides is our family-run charter fishing fleet that's based out of Situate, Massachusetts. We've been providing anglers with the ultimate fishing adventure for over 20 years. Whether you're looking to put together a multi-boat corporate fishing trip, a trip for your family, or you're an avid angler looking to catch a giant bluefin tuna, our crew will do anything it takes to make sure you and your friends and your family have a great day on the water. To book a trip with us, please visit the Mass Bay Guides website, www.massbayguides.com. You can search prices, trip information, and get the latest reports and links to our social media pages there. You can also find us directly on Facebook and Instagram and just search Mass Bay Guides. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Black Oak LED Lighting. Black Oak LED manufactures high-quality LED lighting, at a reasonable price for the fishing, boating, hunting, and military communities. If you're looking to upgrade the lighting system on your boat, Black Oak LED provides many different options of marine-grade lighting, including cockpit spreader lights, LED light bars, undergunnel lights, and underwater lights. We've had Black Oak LED lighting on both of our boats for several seasons now with zero failure, zero issues. They're an essential tool for us to help ensure safe rides home, to and from our fishing grounds in low light and poor visibility conditions. And their series of marine spreader lights are also a great tool for getting bait fish to school around your boat in the dark. If you're re-rigging your boat or outfitting a new vessel, check out Black Oak LED for your lighting systems. Make sure to use the promo code GIANTBLUEFIN for 20% off your order. This episode is brought to you by Afuera Coffee Company. Afuera Coffee Company was started by and for people who not only love exploring the outdoors, but care deeply about restoring and preserving our environments and habitats so everyone can enjoy them for years to come. To help work towards this, they donate 5% of all sales to charities and organizations currently donating to Cappins for Clean Water. 
Everything done at Afuera has sustainability as the main focus, sourcing beans from certified Rainforest Alliance farms, using compostable coffee bags, mailers, stickers, packaging, and of course, donating a portion of sales, not just profits to protect Mother Nature. It is their dream that through many small decisions, such as choosing and brewing your go-to coffee, that we can all make a substantial difference in the health and cleanliness of our world. Afuera is doing it right and makes a tasty product. If you want to give Afuera Coffee a try, visit afueracoffee.com and use promo code MASSBAYGUIDES for 15% off your first order. Our guest on this episode of the podcast is a Northeast native and grew up in a fishing family. He has decades of offshore fishing experience and is a master of the art of daytime sword fishing and deep drop tactics. His fishing career has taken him from the Bahamas to Nova Scotia, chasing tuna and billfish. He's a brand ambassador for Shimano, Ron Z, and owns his own company, Three Buoys Custom Tackle. He has written countless articles for some of the most well-known sport fishing publications, including Florida Sport Fishing and the Big Game Journal. His latest endeavor is offering all-inclusive bed and breakfast accommodations in Bristol, Rhode Island with his wife, where their guests can complete the, the New England seat-to-table experience. He was featured on the series One Boat Challenge on YouTube, where he and several other professional anglers were dropped on a lake in Mexico and all competed largemouth bass fishing, and he took home first place. Taylor and I had a lot of fun and learned a lot from this conversation. ton of laughs. We nerded out about what types of tactics and innovative fishing methods we want to try in the canyons. Um, The conversation was all over the map. It was a great time. Uh, Without further ado... Please welcome to the podcast, Captain Seth Font. Welcome to the Sea Bros Fishing Podcast, where we follow three words of wisdom. You can't catch them if you don't have a hook in the water. Always trust your instincts. And the last, you'll just have to keep listening. Stay tight. Oh man, it feels good to be talking about fishing. I've been going through all my shit the last few nights, finally. It's kind of weird how, not to like get off on a side tangent already, but it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird how like you like don't want to post on social media anymore. At least I don't. Like, I feel like we're on this like big wave of being super consistent and this, that, and the other. Then you like get to a point where you realize, is this helping or hurting me? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Where you run out of content. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You we know? try to hold as much as we can until now. You yeah. Know, now it's posting. You got to post every day. You know, yeah. To get the business and get increase your account. So. But it kind of gets stale where it's like you've almost, you know, like you're thumbing through your pictures from the seasons past and you're looking and you're looking and you're looking. You've already cherry picked all the good ones. Yeah. And now it's like all the B-roll. Right. And uh, you're trying to fi- make stuff out of yeah, like something exciting. I love like putting together those videos. He's all right. He's good. He's good. Yeah, where, he's uh, good. you know, you're just like stitching together cool little pieces of your summer and, it, and then you look at it and you're like, that isn't cool. Yeah. You know? 
but it's cool. It's, you know, we're, you know, my whole operation is I'm here, I'm there, I'm in Florida, I'm in yeah, Bahamas. I'm, I'm like constantly on the move and always right. just coming back to home base, which is, you know, wife and kids. Yeah. Um, but it's cool because I get to, you know, be home, be a dad, be present and invest my time. And then uh, when it's go time, it's like phones off. Yeah. Drift off to wherever you need to go. Yeah, it's never totally. land. Right. You know, it's the yeah, best. You, I was, you know, Brian and I have been kind of, we always do our research on people before they hop on and you have a lot going on. Uh, yeah. You have a lot to unpack that we don't really know. Yeah. You so, know, exactly what you do. <laughs> like we, we know, like we know what you do, but we don't know. What you're yeah. Doing. And we hate like just being like, so tell us your story. Like, yeah. that's not how we do it. We do it like. In a very like off the hip kind of rapid fire way. Right I'm super stoked to be up here. I love driving. Yeah. You know, this drive up here was amazing. It's yeah. like, gives you time to think about, you know, well, what are we going to talk about? And then, uh, well, it doesn't really matter because we're all connected through water. Exactly. So the conversation just flows. Yep. You know? Yeah, it's nice. I've always liked what you guys are doing. I mean, I definitely think Appreciate it's, it. it's, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of median going on. There's a lot of transition in our industry right now. You know, from where I come from, I always felt like the guys that I was always getting my stuff from were people in the magazine business. So it's like, well, what are we writing about? What's the next thing? Go figure it out because we don't want to be somebody who's doing an interview um, and then writing about an interview with somebody who's figured it out. We were always trying to stay ahead of the curve. Just yeah. we want to be the ones figuring it out and then we write about it and then we move on yeah. to the next thing. Yeah. And that's all kind of changed. Now it's like all these YouTubers and, you know, Instagram famous and it's, it's this struggle to create content, which I think to some extent is it's cool, but it's not really, you know, it's the sight of what they're doing it for. Yeah. You know, and you can kind of like, I don't really know how to say this, but like, you can kind of fake the expertise in a lot of those cases. Yeah. Like you can edit it certain ways. You can only post like the good days. Yeah. You know, that's kind of why I like this is like, you can be super authentic and talk right. about the highs, the lows. You're not just trying to always impress people. You're just trying to be realistic. Yeah. You guys have always you know? brought in like a good group of guys. And it's funny. I just said this before. I was like, Oh man, I looked at the whole list of guys you've done work with. And I'm like, I know all these guys one way or another, every single person yeah, down amazing. the line. Yeah. You know, Ali, I bumped into him at an iCast show and I happen to have this skull mount with me and my brother does these skull mounts. That's my brother, brother. I didn't yeah, Dak is bones. I didn't, reali- I didn't awesome. realize that. That's such a good uh, segue slash dog. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I show, this, awesome. uh, I show this Kubera snapper to Ali and uh, I'm like, dude, check this out. And they ended up doing a whole episode just on Dave. Uh, which really? is cr- yeah, dude. Dave's he did a- that big swordfish for them, right? Didn't like him and uh, Rush we'll get that. Yeah, yeah, Rush is awesome. He's from the Keys. Him and I. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're great group of guys. Yeah, you know, obviously from the pen side of things, I'm on the Shimano side of things. Yeah. But you know, when we get to these conventions and stuff, it's like, oh, I know you, I know you, and right. what do we yeah. have to talk about? What do you have to share with me? What's new? Yeah, um, that that's 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 really cool. I mean, that that whole thing was an adventure in and of itself because Dave was a taxidermy guy in high school, paid his way through college with it. That's cool. And we started doing skulls for the sole purpose of trying to figure out what were the best hooks to use for certain species. Because when you take the bones and you figure out which circle hooks roll the jaw the best, 
Like now we're doing it not by guess. We're doing it scientifically. Like 50 pound Kubera snappers. Here's the hook. Here's why. Here's how it rolls. Here's the shape you need. And we started doing it with a lot of different species. That's and it really just, cool. it turned into a business for him. And it's crazy because all my trophies go to Dave. Yeah. You know, so I have this whole collection of like all my greatest fish ever. And that's there's so cool. skull mounts of them all. And that's it's so just, a, it, it, it's a cool thing. Yeah. That's so, really cool. Yeah, you got a lot going on. I'm always impressed by those things. The amount of work, oh, so the amount of bones, like kind of effort. Found the way to. I know. Found, found the path yeah. there. That's so really unique, cool. You know, like we're doing a lot of unique, weird things now too. And. It's going to be, we'll, maybe we'll collaborate on something in the future. Yeah, it's going to awesome. be sweet. Yeah. He's got a crazy thing going on. That's cool. Yeah. Sword oh. skeleton in a table or a bar or something like that. It'll get me going. I know. Get you all randy. It's really cool when you see all the bones spread out before he starts assembly. Oh, that would give me anxiety I think, a little bit. <laughs> uh, no, I think it'd be a cool table piece where you have like one fully assembled and then one just totally scattered in parts. That'd be sweet. That'd yeah. Be cool. Very, very, very cool. cool. So yeah. shout out to Dacus Bones. Hell yeah. Dacus Bones. <laughs> we'll make <laughs> yeah. sure he's linked all in there. So super stoked to be here, boys. Yeah. We're uh, stoked to have a lot you. to talk about. I'm only going on my phone because I, sure. I write stuff on my phone. He writes stuff on my phone. Yeah, I'm a little old, older than him, so I still like the... I feel like we're up in the mountains here. Yeah. Do you want? I just memorize it better if I write it. Do you, you want know? to start off with... With kind of like his history? Do you want to go... No, we'll kind of... I think we'll kind of go into that as we ask him these questions. Um... So are you ready? Let's fire. All right. Do you want to go first or you want me to go first? first? You got the good initial ones. Let's start off with... These are random things that we thought of. I love it. (laughs) All right. Let's start off with the... I actually like the Dean question because this is going to like bring a lot of theories to the table, I think. So we asked Dean this one back in the spring. You fish the canyons a shit ton. Yep. What's one tactic that you want that you've always wanted to like seriously try in the canyons that you have not yet. Like it could be for another species, you know, for example, like kite fishing or something like that. What's one tactic tactic that you've always been like, I wish I could just spend like a week or two out there and do nothing but this that you haven't yet to try to perfect it or see if it even works. Yeah. So we have a year round fishery in Florida for swordfish Mm -hmm. and the progression has been one rod to two rods to three rods to four rods now. Like the guys that really have the right crews and really have their shit together can fish, you know, a big spread. Daytiming for those that are listening. Yeah, there's that time in the canyon where you're just like aimlessly trolling and looking and you're marking and fish are a little bit deeper and you're seeing bait balls and all the signs of life are there. They're just not feeding on the bars on the surface or ballyhoo, right. you know, that's subsurface or you know, even like a lure that's swimming down underneath the prop wash. That's just not where those fish are during that part of the day. And, um, you know, it's always interesting to me to perfect techniques in one place of the world and then bring them and apply them in other places in the world. And I definitely think, you know, my right, you know, I have two ride or die partners up in the Northeast. One is Lou DeFusco. He's the man. He did that bill on the wall there. And one is uh, Robbie Taylor. So, I'm just going to pause you for one sec. Robbie Taylor's facial hair 
is just something uh, fucking magical about it, dude. You need to be on, like, those old I've never had a conversation with him in person, but every time I see a picture or video of him, it's just like brings us. I was about this close to bringing Robbie with me today. Really. <laughs> last oh, night God. he called me. <laughs> last night he called me. We were like, "Oh, where are you at? I'm in Newport in the West Marine, getting some stuff, and That's and I had some coaching stuff to take care of." And uh, he was like, uh, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Dude, you want to take a ride with Mass to me tomorrow? Let's go to Mass." What are you doing? I'm doing this podcast. He's like, oh, I love those guys. I don't know them, but they're pretty cool. <laughs> he's, uh, you know, uh, he's he, he, great dude. I mean, you know, we can get into more of that later. But yeah, for sure. Sorry to, to answer your question, um, there's, um, you know, you take a lifetime of fishing and you're, and you're looking at a situation and you're like, well, what would be the right scenario for this? And there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, it's starting to catch on, but it's not really – moving as fast as it did down South in Florida is stop the boat, put out four rods and be fishing the depths of like 1500, 1000, 750, 500, 350 moving baits, you know, fishing live baits down that deep fishing in areas where those fish retreat to during the middle of the day. Yeah. You know, cause you can't, you can't force the bite. What you can do is shift the way you're fishing and put the baits in the areas where they're swimming and I think that that's going to, you know, unearth better big eye fishing, more swordfish bites, and definitely, you know, some critters. Yeah. You know, DeKavey and I were, like, I happened to randomly bump into him over at uh, Justin from Chatterlores. He was uh, redoing all his gear. And uh, Mark was just like, yeah, first one to get you. Once you get an OPA, that's it. We retire. <laughs> those things are badass uh yeah super super cool but you know the way you're going to catch that fish is like that fishing a buoy rod 500 feet pushed out behind the boat with a live you know something something on it squid or a mackerel and um you know up, up, up here it's just you know it's it's just pound 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 troll 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 it's just there's times you just got to stop and reapproach things for people i think i think what you're describing takes work, which we all like, but a lot of people don't. Yeah. yeah. Four rods yeah. up on the tower, you know, put some buoy whips in them, mark them. Yeah. Get out there. Boom, boom, boom. Put out rod one at a thousand, rod two at 500, rod three at yeah. 300 and make lunch. Yeah. Just do it for an hour. Yeah. But you know, if I was going to spend a week out in the Canyon doing something totally different that I wanted That'll to be really wild. perfect out here, you know, we were fishing the tri-state this year and we were, this year we fished Veach. I was on uh, 92 Viking with Louie and Manny and uh, the China time. And, uh, and it's great electronics. And, uh, and we're driving along and I'm marking these like balls and you're seeing these, you know, I don't know if they were, you know, manta rays or big eyes or swordfish or giants or whatever, but you know, the, the, the echo feedback, you're like, Oh man, that's him. Yeah. Just keep turning. Just keep turning until <laughs> he's come up. Please come up. <laughs> you know, but we're all looking up and I'm looking at Lou. He's like, oh, we should drop right now. And I'm like, yes, we should. So to, to answer your question, that would be the thing that I would love to just spend a week doing out here. Yeah. Doing no trolling. None of that. Just, 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 you know, what I would call like mid water drift drifting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. Um, but it's basically a daytime swordfish format. If you could run through, I'm sure you have the spread in mind, uh-huh. but if you're running that three, four rod midwater drift spread, what would you want on there for baits? I always say, you know, you got to fish the bait you can get your hands on, right? So if it's in the summertime, you can get snappers. Snapper's a great bait. You just got to size your leader to the bait. 
Um, and where are you getting snappers? You know, like July, August, September, when the snappers move in, just spend a little bit of time on the dock, just filling the tank up with, you know, I just like live baits. Yeah. There's times that we go out there and they never, you know, I never crack the well and you never even use them. But there's times that, you know, you're fighting a fish or two. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll take a spinning rod and send out Catch a live bait. Out. Why not? You know, uh, for the tri-state this year, we definitely had a whole tank full of squid. Yeah. Um, did it make a difference? It didn't that day. But I always say, like, my mantra is, like, you're going to do – I'm going to prep for the trip 120%, and it pays off 50% of the time. Correct, yeah. You know? Yeah. So Same. just that, those extra little things that you've prepared for, not every trip it makes a big deal. But I, I can't count on my hand how many times that extra little thing that I did makes – all the difference in the end of the day. Totally. It even if, even if it's just fish. the time saving right. and maximizing your time, making yeah. it more efficient right there. It's already. Yeah. Yeah. We were just having, it might've been the last podcast of Ben. We were talking about filling a, a bucket full of mackerel in the morning. Yeah. And like four trips out of however many we did a couple hundred, but four out of those couple hundred, we were hand feeding fish. Yeah. yeah. You know, granted they didn't come all the way with their backs out of the water, but they came all up to 30 feet. Yeah. Yeah. We had a savage four days spread out throughout the summer and, and fall because we kept mackerel every day. Yeah. You know, it's crucial. It's, yeah. it's the different, it's, that's the X factor that separates the, the fleet from the elite. Totally. It's that extra 20% yeah, of prep. And that's what keeps, you know, you step like, ahead of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, totally. It's that one extra thing. Everyone's Constantly innovating. You just sit there like all day with oh. water baits just to see people. You gotta have the right crew, though. You'd have to bring. To you would right. have to bring our buddy Joe Pritchard, so he could just cook, oh, cook shit and yeah. just. He'd yeah. be a perfect person to have on a day like that. He wouldn't sleep either. Yeah, he doesn't sleep. He cooks the most amazing food. Yeah, and he'll get you the most He'd be random the bite possible. Midday. Yes. Midwater. I'm telling you, drifting guy. It's it's definitely really cool. Like as the evolution of your career goes, like. The more accolades you get, the more fishing you do, you get invited to go fish in cool operations. Totally. And it's like, listen, you're the fishy guy, so you do whatever we need to do to be fishy. And I don't have to worry about ice or food or any or running the boat or right. maintaining the boat. It's just like you do what you do. Yeah. We'll make sure everyone's comfortable. Right. And it's sometimes those are the coolest trips because yeah. you know, you, you can't force a great trip. You know, it's gonna happen or it's not. Totally. And either you're ready for it or you're not. And um Oftentimes feel like the best trips are for me at this point. It's like, I love fishing with people that are just excited to see how it's done rather than fishing. And there, yeah, there's times that I like my ride or die crew where it's like, yo, we're going to go crush Wahoo on a 24 hour. We're not going to sleep. Yeah. We're going to race to the Bahamas, come back and it's going to be nonstop. I love that too. But I, 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 you know, in the Northeast, when you're making that haul, it's really nice to, you know, really put an emphasis on outside of the box stuff dialed in on what what's really productive and and just be comfortable yeah you know yeah i like it midwater drifting it's no different than shark fishing i mean the only difference is you're fishing braid you're fishing 150 foot leaders you know i mean if you giant fish you know the little yeah. things yeah. make all the difference you totally. know crimp's got to be perfect and shit streets like so that. those that are listening that have money they want to spend and <laughs> sit in the canyons and try something new and report back try it out. uh yeah. you know i definitely yeah. think you could do it on a like if you brought it would be very light but like four 50s or tack 50s tack 25 something that size yep. yeah 
um, spooled with 50, 65 pound line, you can get away with that. Oh yeah. For sure. You know, (laughs) you know, Um, that's awesome. I I think, um, I, Lou, me, Ralph Kraft, and uh, a couple of other Newport fish junkies. We we were doing a Canyon run and, uh, up on the T top for every, every, every single run that season, we, we, you know, just loaded the whole T top up with uh, spinning rods with bronzies and 80 pound fluoro. It's like, yeah, we're going to go troll all day, but I, uh, you know, maybe arguably the greatest Canyon trip ever that I can think of in the last three years, me and Lou were out running, uh, had a great day, had a couple eyeballs, bunch of yellowfin. Like, all right, let's go try some sword fishing. So we're, uh, we're sword fishing. We're in Veach. Um, it just wasn't happening. You know, we're fishing, we're fishing, we're fishing, no bites. And uh, Lou's like, dude, what is that? And we just see a whale shark, like right on the edge. And we pick everything up. We run over to the whale shark. And this big eye is just sickling out of the water all around the whale shark. What? And at that moment in time, it was like, dude, we have a whole rocket launcher loaded with Ron Z's. Everyone grab one and go. So everyone just starts firing the, out in every which direction and everything gets tight all at once. That's unbelievable. And it was like, it was like a five banger at big eyes and they were all in like the 125, 150 pound class. And I remember looking at Lou, like, this is that moment, you know, where it's like bringing that tackle paid off. Right. Totally. You yeah. know, and having it a hundred percent, you know, reliable. Yeah. And you know, I, I, you know, we did, I don't know, seven or eight trips where they never even come off. I'm not sure. And, uh, you know, it's just that one time that you're ready for it and boom, it happens. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. You're up to you. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so up here, overall bottom fish are fairly dumb. Lame. Fairly lame, fairly dumb. Cod, haddock, pollock. Cusk, all that kind of stuff. Eating wise, they're great. Oh, they're delicious. Mm-hmm. But they're they're more often than not pretty easy to catch. It's a wet sock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the hardest bottom fish to catch in Florida? In Florida, Florida. Oof, that's a tough one. I love bottom fishing. Yeah. It's, yeah, I love. You know, I respect that about Robbie Taylor too. It's like when he's not fishing, he's fishing. Yeah. When he's not doing that, he's thinking about it. So yeah. it's it. Like it there's no bad. off switch. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So I always find the, you know, like the complete angler is somebody who can find passion in anything. Yeah. I love bottom fishing. I love fluking, sea bass and black fishing. Right. Um, but to answer your question, um, I kind of really love it all. You know, I love the challenge of trying to perfect it no matter what it is. Every time we go, I would have to say my favorite bottom fish to target in Florida is probably Kubera snapper. Kubera. Kuberas are probably my favorite because it's, uh, first of all, it's not easy to do. Right. Yeah. So I like fisheries where it's like, no one really knows what's going on. Every time, every time you go, you got to kind of refigure it out. They have a great fishery for them in the keys. They have an epic fishery for them in the Bahamas. Not a lot of people know about it. And uh, the way we do it is we dive for lobsters, put the lobsters in the live tank, and when the sun sets on the full moon, right outside the inlets and right outside certain passes and corals and stuff, we uh, drop down live lobsters. And you you know, kind of get them it. close to the bottom, and yeah, the lobsters are. Do that. Yeah. 
That's pretty wild. clicking, and it just is like, woof. Yeah. Full drag. Is it truly like full drag? You cannot let them have anything? Full drag. Full, just lockdown. 100-pound lockdown. So fight-wise, you'd say those are probably the most difficult down there? It's challenging just because yeah. there's, they're, you know, they're few and far between. There's just awesome. a lot of, yeah, you know, t- t- uh, there's so many elements that go into doing it. You know, you got to have somebody who can like, for us, it came about just diving for conch. You know, it's like, oh, we're diving for conch or diving for lobster. And what's that? Yeah. Mark that spot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Bahamas Kubera is probably one of my favorites, but I love deep drop snapper fishing. That's, that's, that's always just, it's fun. You yeah. fish taste amazing. Um, you never know what's coming up. could be a mystic, could be a queen, could be a yellow eye, could be a silky, could be a, you know, six gill shark. I haven't either. Yeah. It's pretty, it's, it's it's like tile fishing, you know, love tile fishing. It's always, you know, when everything kind of gets tile fishing, I've just never like done the whole grouper thing and and all that. Oh, it's so cool. It's super, super fun. I mean, imagine like 50, 60 pound striped bass, except they're like tog. Right. You know, in, in, in Florida and the Bahamas, it's, yeah, it's, sick. it's a totally different, there's a lot going on there, you know? Yeah. Those things fish. are cool looking. Those Kuberas. Yeah. Oh yeah. Their teeth are insane. Few. I actually caught one in, uh, Dominican. Oh yeah. Yeah. They pop for them in the, in, in Panama. In the, in the channel, you're goofing around trolling Valley down like into the Harbor in Dominican. And we actually hooked it like right at the entrance to the Harbor. That's sweet. Yeah. I thought it was a tarpon cause I guess it was tarpon in the Harbor there. I don't know if that's true, but that's pretty wild. That's cool. So I'm assuming one of the, this is going to dovetail on one of your questions. I'm assuming sharks are one of the, you know, things you have to combat while you're, you know, catching those things. How is the, in your perspective, like the shark issue down in Florida, Bahamas area, like are you, are you experiencing like tons more bite offs year to year or is it? Pretty much the same. This episode is sponsored by Costa Del Mar. If you didn't know already, Costa makes some of the best fishing sunglasses on the market. They have a ton of frame options and offer a wide variety of lens colors. And their 580 color enhancing polarized lens technology is tried and true. We are big fans of their blue mirror lenses for our offshore fishing charters and their green mirror lenses for inshore. They've stepped up their game big time and they offer a great new line of performance fishing apparel. We've been wearing a lot of it the past few seasons on charters. We found that all of it's well-designed, comfortable, durable, quick drying. It can handle a beating. To check out Costa's great selection of sunglasses, apparel, and wide variety of other products, visit costadelmar.com. There's some interesting stuff going on, you know. Um, they banned the shark finning down in the Caribbean. So it's, it's pretty much banned. Um, they made it illegal to sell shark fins. And what that did is, you know, if you're not harvesting all the species at a certain rate, one just starts to take over. And yeah, um, sharks have become a problem. It's, um, it's definitely something where um, I remember with, you know, I don't know, I've been sail fishing down in Florida for 20 years. One time I can remember getting sharked with a sailfish. 
you know, real sailfish in and he comes in in half. Yeah. What happened? Well, you know, big mako, big bull, big tiger, something like that. Mm. And um, now it seems like, you know, you're pretty much getting shark almost every time you go. Yeah. You know, because, you know, when we're sailfishing down there, you, you can't really have a banner day unless you're catching multiples. Yeah. And you can't catch multiples if you're chasing everyone you hook all the time. Sometimes you got to just hook one and sit tight. And that's the best teaser is another hmm. fish. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Also, it's the same up here, you know. Some of the way we tournament fish for sailfish, and then I'm, I'm watching GoPro footage of us on the canyons, and it's like, oh, rod goes off. What's everyone do? Clear the spread. Well, why? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You got a teaser. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the Bahamas, when we're targeting tunas, you know, we chunk, chunk, chunk. You hook one, and that's when everyone really starts to get focused on making sure baits aren't tangled. Good chunk going. Yeah. And you, you know, you want to kind of like one in, one, a couple of hooked, get one in, hook a few more, get one in, hook a few more, get one in, hook a few more. Hmm. Cause that bite only, you know, it might last just a very short amount of time. So you got to capitalize on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but back to your thing about sharks, it's, it's become a problem everywhere. I mean, even up here by us. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, I mean, look, they, you know, you got to call them. Yeah. You know, they, they tried to do a short tournament out of Palm beach and it was like all these activists came out like, why are you killing these things? I'm like, this is ridiculous. You yeah. know, you got to harvest them. You, you, you know, you have to thin the herd a little bit, so to speak. You can't have a ranch. It gets overrun with certain things. You've got to thin it out totally. to have a healthy population. <laughs> we Sackbarry coyote hunted the other day. Yeah. yeah, you got to. Otherwise yeah. you won't get turkeys. Yeah. You know, they spook the deer. It's just, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it, it, you can't kill deer and kill turkey. And one thing with the dominant species will take over. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's amazing the difference. In, I mean, just, just on the bank alone with the sharks, I've never seen the sharks so bad. Yeah. I had you one know. day this year where we just saw like a pot of like, this was in the Northeast. So, uh, I don't know, we were out sea bass fishing one day and I just look under the boat and it's, you know, probably a hundred sandbar sharks. What the hell are they doing here? What are they eating? How do they survive like that? I think they, you know, kind of just move through and whatever the biomass is, it's yeah. there, they're on it. Clean know, it out. Bunker or sea bass or, you know, porgies, whatever, whatever it is, it is, they're on it. Nuts. You know? Um, but it's gotten bad. Yeah, definitely the great whites are coming back too. Yeah, the white shark interactions, like you don't even feel comfortable lipping a bass anymore in shore. We've had, you know, multiple stories of guys from nova scotia to here bluefin attacks swimming fish yeah um even just like the thresher population poor beagle population by us like 10 years ago i'd never even seen or caught a thresher shark and now you get in you know schools of mackerel on the bank and they're up at the surface you know balled up you're more than likely gonna see a thresher tail rip through it now. yeah you know <laughs> yeah. even inshore like Stone Ledge, you know, eight, nine miles out from, you know, where our boats are, you're covered up, covered up. Yeah. And big ones too, like 300 pound plus animals. Yeah, I think, you know? I mean, not that shark fishing is really growing by us, but I think you're going to start seeing some people like targeting some of those thresher sharks and stuff in shore. Because if you went out and actually chummed and moved around with, you know, bluefish and mackerel, yeah. you know, live baits, I think you could have... Three to five shots a day. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. Robbie and I had, sharks. was like, what was it, August? So it was like right at, right at August. 
just when we start get going on the giant fishing and uh, we were out of Cox's. I think we had five threshers, a mako. Jesus. Had to move away from that just to get our giant bite. Yeah. Yeah, it was – but it's cool. For, you know, char- for charters, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, obviously when you're trying to get to that goal of getting a, a bluefin, it can be tricky and you can get annoyed. Yeah. But the end of the, it's like it's like anything else. You know, the bycatch can be annoying as someone that does it every day. But for charters, it's, it's a blast. You know, you always got to kind of not fake it because it's always fun. It's all fun. Yeah. But you kind of have to like uh, change the way you want to react sometimes so that people – it doesn't ruin someone's day. Yeah. You know. Well, you're not excited when people want to eat a blue shark. <laughs> I know. Right? Yeah. Just great. Yeah, oh, dude. For instance, like, you know, it was probably 10 years ago when we were getting a lot of those. No, it was actually more than that. 15 years ago, we we're getting tons of little ones trolling. And a, the secret for a few of the years was to get in the bluefish. Yeah. Like you'd catch 50 freaking bluefish on squid bars are tearing your shit apart but if you weren't in the bluefish you weren't getting 100 pound bluefin yeah and it's like you're cursing at them you know but eventually you get the bite yeah you know and sometimes you gotta grind it out you gotta grind it out well you, you had a day of what 13 blue sharks oh yeah bluefin bite yeah did you fish any baits on the bottom everywhere they were eating everything it didn't didn't matter surface down 100 feet ben's ben's the uh, Worked for us this year, mate for us, great kid. He's actually doing the carpentry work in the room next door. But there is one day where I'm not kidding you, the blue handled drink guys were in his hand the entire fucking day. Like I don't think I don't think he put them down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, until we finally hooked yeah. the tuna fish. It's painful. You burning through hooks and everything. Oh, there was like a week period where I don't think we made any money on charters. We went through so much fluorocarbon. Yeah, yeah, we go painful. through. 10 to 15 liters a day with yeah. hooks. And then you got the dogs. Like you got the blue dogs. You got the, you know, we're not like, we're not against the thresher kind of, you know, mackerel shark bycatch yeah, that's for fun. charters. It's great. But the dog, the dogfish and the blue sharks this year, it was the worst I've seen it. Yeah. You know, the, usually, usually when we're giant tuna fishing or that sub, you know, I felt like this year, other than a few years past, usually we're up on, in, in the Cape. Yeah. But, um, it was I'm, good. I'm usually fishing with Robbie. So yeah. it's, you know, to his, I'm, I'm kind of his boat was. Yep. Still is. And, and now. And you I, just got a new boat, right? Boat's lobster. And it's a great guy. It's no, great I said you, you got a new boat that you're. Yeah, you got that Ross built, right? Yeah. Recently. It's a cool boat. Yeah. yeah. That's fun. I saw a few videos. I've been watching all the kid. videos of you and your son battling yeah. giants. He's so stoked. His whole, there's one video I watched recently where you're like, what are we doing today? And he's like standing on the ice chest and he's like play by play talking about like how they're going to fish for the day, like yeah. what's going to happen and stuff. Sick. Oh, unbelievable. It was on the back of some really good fishing. It's like, Back to the thing about the dogs and, you know, just going through leaders and everything. You know, we just fished bigger baits this year. Yeah. It just seemed like fishing bigger baits, we were getting less bullshit bites. Interesting. You know? Yeah. It was crazy because nothing really changed. The leaders didn't change. The hooks didn't change. Everything was pretty much the same. But instead of slapping on a bunker, a mackerel, or squid, it was like 10-pound bluefish. Yeah. And I'm looking at Ravi as he's strapping this up. I'm like, dude. Maybe we should be fishing some bigger. That's rides. a great segue. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "That's a great segue." <laughs> he was like, no. yeah. Boom! Right in the back, and we were getting some absolute. I mean, listen, this year was definitely. I think I know what you're about to say. The craziest giant bluefin fishery out of Newport that I've, you know, old timers were talking about it. Like, dude, this hasn't happened in seventy years. 
you know, it's not usually like this, but for whatever reason, those fish just funneled in on that line and, and they were there and, uh, it was savage there for like sick, pretty much the whole summer. Sick. What was the size range there? Were they all slobs? They're all like hundred to hundred and so big. Uh, 100 to 112 was kind of like the slot. There was definitely some like 118, 120 inch fish. Yeah. We didn't really see too many like under 90 inches. And how far offshore are you fishing there? Three miles. It's amazing. Those inshore fish are just hammers. What's even, even in the bay is the same thing. What's even more amazing is they're catching them there at the same time we're catching them in the bay. Well, it's more at of the them. same time the guys are catching them up in PEI, Nova yeah. Scotia. It's Real like in Maine and, and Maine, everywhere. Nova Scotia. Went How off. many fish are out there? I know. Well, yeah, but I also think I I can't remember a season where there was this much like bunker, yeah, this much biomass of bait everywhere too. Yeah, it, and you, it, listen, maybe that's because people weren't fucking with it during COVID. The boats were shut down. Everything was shut down. The restaurants were shut down. No one was buying. They left everything the fuck alone. And it took, you know, a season or two for it to really show itself. But maybe that had something to do with it. But, you know, just to kind of segue into something else, you know, it, it's it's crazy. We're all really passionate about fishing, but, you know, none of us really touch the politics side of it. Mm. It's and hard it's like, to. It, it's hard yeah. to, but it's like, you know, you can't have like big government regulating fisheries that have no fucking idea what's real and what's yeah. being politicked, you know, People are paying off other people for larger quotas. And how does that affect the sport fishing industry? And when you think about it, you know, it's like by cutting off, you know, just chopping your nose off to spite your face. I mean, the sport fishing industry and the fishing industry supports, you know, millions of families and businesses. And, yeah. and when the fishing sucks, it just sucks. It's, yeah. And it's, you know, it just needs to be regulated. A it trickles bit. all the way down to the hotels and bed and breakfasts that people Everything, are, man. It's just, you know, it's, staying in for the yeah, summer. You know, sucks. it's this, this whole wind farm bullshit. Now the whales popping up is definitely going to put a pop in that. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, when you propose things like 10 miles an hour in these zones, it's like, wh wh who thought this one up? Yeah. yeah. You know, there was that crazy episode in uh, Yellowstone where uh, the dude's like, yeah, they're, they're going to put up. Uh, solar farms and cut down all the dove bush and they're like well where are the doves gonna live yeah he's like well there's no research that says that they're gonna be affected and he's like you're fired yeah <laughs> no idea what yeah the fuck i know even the whole mackerel thing like you know i understand that like you're not seeing them as much in the mid-atlantic but i've never seen this much mackerel slash bait in general it, in my listen, life it, it definitely it's definitely shifts. shifting yeah it shifts around there was a, a season i fished up in nova scotia with uh, Mark Pagano and uh, Fly Navarro and Curtis. Um, On Big Smoke? Yeah, yeah. Curtis McGilfrey. And um, I hope I said his name right, Curtis. It is Curtis. I don't know Curtis his last McGilfrey. name. This episode is brought to you by Rodan Marine Systems. Technology in the marine industry seems to be improving at an exponential rate from year to year. And Rodan Marine is at the forefront of the GPS anchor and trolling motor industry. We've been running a Rodan GPS anchor on our 30-foot center console for a few seasons now, and it's been a game changer. With quick deployment and the simple push of a button, you can anchor down on a spot and stay within a few feet of your target location without having to deal with a traditional anchor, 20-plus feet of heavy chain, 400 feet of anchor line, obviously depending on how your setup is, but it's just very, very convenient and accurate. 
the phishing applications for using a Rodan are really endless. We find it extremely useful for both our inshore striped bass fishing as well as our offshore tuna fishing. And the customer service and support at Rodan is amazing. They offer overnight shipping on parts and are available to troubleshoot any issues that you might have. We've put close to a thousand hours on our motor and have had next to no issues. Any problems or questions that we've had, the team at Rodan responded quickly and has had parts to us the next day. If you're interested in taking the next step on improving your boat's anchoring system and giving yourself an advantage when it comes to fishing, make sure you check out Rodan Marine Systems line of GPS anchors. Visit RodanMarine.com to check them out. Awesome, dude. Anyway, that, that, um, you know, those fish don't know the boundaries. They just, they're just following the bait. They're following the water. And, you know, when you see what they have going on up there with the herring and the mackerel and the way that they catch their fish, you know, those fish just mosey on down the coast, make their way to North Carolina ish. Some continue on some turn around and come back, but it's crazy to follow that fishery, you know, thousand miles in either direction it's insane and it's just you know it's crazy because that bait the bait biomass it's all about the food so you know if you get a seasonal you know temperate winter and the, the fish don't go that far south and and then they flow further north the next year it's crazy but this year was definitely a, a big pendulum swing in like the biomass as a bait that totally. I saw. it's crazy Totally. We haven't seen, I mean, you guys have nuts pogies, but we haven't, we had insane pogies as well. And we hadn't seen that in our whole life, decades, our whole life. We're not that yeah. old, but our grandfather was fishing when they were like the last time they were snagging them out in front of our local waters. Yeah. You know, yeah. now it's just insane. I mean, yeah, this year there was three pockets of pogies that were a couple miles that stayed there in the entire fishing season. It was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. And it just brought everything in. I mean, the bass, the tunas, tunas were in 10 feet of water. Guys were seeing them bust out of the water. Yeah. And Same in Nonsock. They were yeah. seeing them like at the point on the it's beach. crazy. It was all catching them in the gill nets on the beach. Yeah. It was awesome. You're up. Next question, guy. I this, have one. I, this was perfect because he was talking about 10-pound bluefish. Um, before you ask it, the audio is captured on the camera. Good. So we got both cameras. That's too. backed up. Yeah. Um, I am going to ask kind of a similar question to the first one, just and that will kind of cascade into like what programs you fish on, cool. kind of your history. So yeah. we'll make we sure. We really touched on that. Yeah. We could talk for an hour just about yeah. midwater deep dropping. Totally. <laughs> I'm like horned up. Oh, I know. Right uh, what's the bait, like bait versus fish you're after? What's the largest bait versus uh, game fish that you've used? I mean, you're I would definitely say, for- yeah, I would definitely say without a doubt. Um, I mean, for all the years of giant tuna fish, and again, you know, Robbie's kind of like my ride, ride or die giant tuna partner. Um, and I have to give a lot of credit to him because just a lot of work goes into getting things fine tuned. And then it's like, well, I just kind of step in and, <laughs> you know, see how he's doing it, yeah. mimic it. That's but, you tricky. know, at the same time, um, you know, there's a lot to... It's a team effort. It's at the end a of the team. Day. Yeah, there's a lot that's going on. But, but um, yeah, it it it, it seemed like ten pound bluefish, no change in the gear. There there were a few times that we were getting some fish that were like pushing, you know, eight fifty nine hundred that were aggressive feeding where you could you could have went up to two hundred pound. Yeah, and still gotten the bite. But 
10 pound bluefish, 12 pound bluefish. And so it really didn't matter the size of the bluefish. Oh, no, it was savage. It was That's savage. Such. It was crazy. You're popping the baits in the water and. What would you say? Because we had this same conversation with uh, Smalley mm-hmm. uh, last year. What would you say your successful land rate is using those big baits on the on tuna fish? With, I mean, I, I have to say, you know, I don't think we chafed many off. Yeah, I, I can't think of one I chafed off this year. I mean, we had maybe two that we had like crotch breaks in the, you know, from the crimp to the to the leader. But maybe you know, I have to take fault for that for maybe pulling the wrong crimp, or you know. You're trying to use 170, and maybe I used a whatever. Yeah, yeah. It happened to Robbie once with aluminum. It happened to me one time with copper. So those are the only two times that it happened this season. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know the one thing that you know I definitely noticed that Robbie was really being strong about was just like when he eats the bait, don't start cranking right away. Just let him choke the bait. Just let him choke. Especially with the big bluefish. I mean, geez. yeah. I mean, my theory about it is if you're watching the rod. You get a hard pull and then it kind of goes slack for a second. Maybe he's turning around and swimming and trying to choke it because he's getting some resistance. But, you know, uh, I'm not fishing uh, traditional circle hooks. You know, there's definitely the Mutu offset to it. Mm-hmm. So just let him, let, let him, him let him choke it. Thing. Let him, let him, let him choke that big bait. Don't, don't rush it. Um, and there was definitely a fish with my brother where we get out to the spot, we're marking, I put the bait in the water. And I can't get the bait to get away from the boat. I look over at my brother, Jared. I'm like, hit it in reverse. My brother puts the boat in reverse. The bait swings off the bow and it gets eaten right there off the bow, like 10 feet from me. And I'm like, oh no, I wish I had, you know, more space between. Scope. Yeah, because I can't exactly, at this point in time, it's like bad things can happen if if this backlashes. Yeah. Bad shit. So, all right, just lock it up and hopefully it's there and. For whatever reason, the fish, you know, I could see the bluefish just come right out of the tuna's mouth. And another one just came right on his back and ate the bait. And we got tight on that. That's sick. But it was, it was, you know, with those big baits, I like them a little further away from the boat too. Yeah. Because yeah. that gives the fish a little bit more room to kind of do what it needs yeah, to do. Yeah, you get a little bit more around. slack on the line. It doesn't, you know, the fish doesn't feel it as much. The turning in the mouth it. thing's a good point too. You, you and I were nerding out about that a few weeks ago. But like thinking about the bait you're using, their fin structure, stuff like that. Like a bluefish. It's got spiny, you know, smaller but spiny dorsal. That thing gets right. eaten tail first. Like they're they're flipping it. In their they're mouth. flipping it. Like that's getting hung oh, yeah. and barbed in the you know. He's gonna, roof yeah, of their they're, mouth. they're gonna ram. They're just gonna ram it as hard as they can. Yeah, and then figure out what to do once yeah. it's fucked up. Yeah, right. Yeah. So 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 just the theory there behind getting the balloon a little further out away from the boat. Yeah, gives him a little more time to do what he needs to do to get it down. Were you fishing heavy drag on strike, or are you fishing pretty light? Same shit. The whole you know what everyone does. You know, I think we're fishing thirty at strike, twenty eight at strike, and fifty two at at sunset. Yeah, so you know, I mean, I don't know what you guys fish for mainline, but you know, I'm fishing one fifty. I feel like two hundreds a little. There's not enough rubber band in there. One fifty is just perfect. Yeah, two hundred sinks too much. It it definitely did get challenging this year because where we were hooking the fish was like mixed in the lobster pots. Oh boy! So unless you were like Johnny on the spot with getting on top of the fish quickly, he'd find a way to kind of just inevitably get you wrapped around a pot. Yeah. So you know we played with the idea of do we shorten up the main line? Do we beef up the main line? Do we go to a you know Robbie fishes five hundred? I fish. I think I fished 300 so that if the braid gets on the pot, it'll saw through it. But it was definitely 
interesting, which is back to the Ross boat, you know, it's yeah. it was pretty cool with that little boat. You could kind of get tight on the fish, get right on top of them, yeah. lock it up and let them tow the boat around. Oh yeah. So maybe a little bit, you know, I almost think it's easier to catch those fish on a smaller boat. I agree. We, I think, talking the, about that I think too. the forgive, we have the, the center console on the down. It's very forgiving. You know, the boat's yeah. moving as the rods bending, less pulled hooks, you know, less jerky movement at the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once that drags up to 30 pounds, like even just chase them down, it's, it doesn't take much, but a few clicks of the outboard to get your way right up to them, yeah. you know, like they're pulling you. And then you have leverage on them because if you're keeping the rod angled out, like they're trying to pull that hull along with them and they're just going to raise, the, if they're over a hundred inches, they're going to raise the surface very quickly. Yeah. They, 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 they definitely do some crazy Ivan shit. Yeah. And How I, deep of water are you in there? I mean, for the most part, it's anywhere between, uh, I'm just trying to think like maybe it was anywhere from a hundred to. So similar to us. Yeah. Similar. So they stay up a lot probably, right? To the surface? Kind of, to, you know, wherever the fish are, they're at. You know, yeah. like the bluefish are there that day. They're going to be on well, the surface. What do you mean when you're fighting them? Are they all, all over the surface with their back out of the water and stuff a lot? I definitely think um, the last couple of years up on the Cape, it's been like eh, 90, 100-inch fish this year was bigger. And I think um, the older they get, uh, sometimes they get a little lazy, but I do think all of them for that initial hook – they do some crazy Ivan shit. I mean, like, yeah. dump, stop, come back, yeah. hard left, hard right. You know, it, it. that's one thing that's a major difference between sword fishing and giant tuna fishing, right? For the most part, like giant tunas, they're fairly predictable. I mean, they're going to do some crazy shit. Yeah. And it's going to require some like advanced maneuvering to not get tangled up in the gear and the prop or on trim tab or, yeah. you know, get on a bad angle with him where he's coming up or scoping under the boat or yeah. something. Um, but for the most part, at the end of that fight, he's just going to get into a pinwheel, you know, starboard rod holder and just work him out. Yeah. He's just going to pinwheel you up. Yeah. Swordfish. It's totally different fish. It's, it's like you, every fish, you have no idea what he's going to do. He can so jump strange. sound charge. He could do all different kinds of shit at you. Um, well, they also so have, they also have so much more leverage because they basically have like a lure lip slash bill on their face. So like the pull point, they still so have weird. mass forward of the hook yeah, too. It's like a planing hook, yeah. It's, it's like a planing big nose. dorsal fin, big yeah. big fins. Yeah, all their their tails are fucking huge. Yep. Yeah, you know, every year is different, and that's what yeah. I love about it. You know, every single year there's different patterns you got to figure out. And this year it was lovely that they were close, but in reality, what are the chances that we're going to get that fisher year after year? Probably not good. Yeah. So, you know, it gets back out to those 30 mile runs, 40 mile, whatever, wherever you're yeah. fishing from. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you go about all the elements. Yep. So, you know, I love fishing small boats. Yeah. I definitely feel like you have a tactical advantage. Feels like you're in the game too. Like as a captain or whatever, you're like there. Like yeah. that's why I love the stern station on the big boat. That's why I love running the small boat. It's like yeah. you're, you're right there. Yeah, you know, like yeah. Some of the it, bigger boats when you're up top and you kind of feel like you're out of it a little bit. It's also calmer from a communications perspective. Yeah, which you don't have just to sets yell. the tone for the whole fight too. You know, it's like I have two awesome videos. Right, <laughs> I was fishing with my buddy Dave Huberman, and uh, he's got a boat called the Homeschool. It's this really cool green stick boat. And uh, I got the video of like the last two minutes of the end game on this motherfucker, dude. I brought the leader here. 
this motherfucker, this, this <laughs> fucking thing. I love showing. And I have hell. to say, it was like it was the rod that caught that fish because the rod just had enough give not to let it break. But What's that a 10? 10, yeah. Yeah, 10 on yeah. too. 170 Premier. No chafe gear on the swivel. That's Luke. ballsy. Um, But um, I'm watching the video, and it's like no one says a fucking word. Don't need to because everyone knows what's going on. Yeah. You know, and there's other operations. It's crazy. Um, You know, on the, on, the, on the flip side of that, you know, it's like when we're fishing with Robbie, he's like, it's like it's super exciting it's super fun but it's it's just you know it's cool that um you know there's the excitement level and then on that boat it was just like no one needs to say a fucking word everyone on this boat's a murderer (laughs) we all know how to do this exactly Uh, that fish is not safe that's sweet that's sweet i saved that to remind myself that um um just because everyone does it one way doesn't mean it can't be done another way. Oh, like, like, yeah, there's a bunch of ways to skip totally. the cat. That was a big that. fish. That was like 116 inch fish. Wow. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, at the end there, the fish got real stubborn. It was a full moon fish. I don't know if the moon has something to do with the way they fight. Maybe they're just packing on the heat because there's more. You know, I definitely think the moon affects the bait. And I think the moon can affect the way the bait congregates. And maybe those baits are just thicker and easier for them to gorge on. And strong tide moon, they have that advantage, yeah. you know, they get that weight and they like get I'm, that current. Like I'm, I'm definitely not an athlete, like a few days after Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know? But that's what the beginning of the year, the, the migrating fish are just a beast to deal yeah. with. Yeah. They change shape. It's crazy. Swordfish too. Um, you know, the swords, um, sometimes they have the travel marks in them and it's much more common to see those up here. What do you mean by travel marks? So it's like stretch marks, right? When you harvest the fish, they have these like grooves in their body. And that's from just the body getting fat, getting skinny, getting fat, getting skinny. So a lot of times down in Florida, we catch these resonant fish. Our average fish down there is 100, sub 200, you know, buck 50. That's kind of the average. Yeah, you see some big ones, but for the most part, that's like 7 out of 10. You're going to see like that 1 to 150 range. And a lot of those fish are just real smooth sides. They're residents. They're spending a lot of time in that area. They're not really migrating. Um, the fish that have like the travel lines in them, and you'll know it right when you see them. I know. I think I know what you're talking yeah. about now. That like kinkles, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. ripples in their skin. Yeah. You'll see the coloration is different too, right? Like the browns, mm. the silvers, or are you talking like actual? It's just like kind of like ridgy looking sort of stretch marks. Yeah. It's, it's, stretch you know, marks. Just, that fish is plumped up really took advantage of whatever situation you know it got into and a then ball moved. and then they can they can travel got a decent length of time and just shed the weight as they go mm-hmm. but you know like camels can drink a whole heap of water and then walk in the desert for like weeks without yeah. having to drink water they store it yeah same sort of concept where it's just they can pack it in yeah and then they can really travel but you know i don't think there's a lot of current down there on the bottom i think all the way from like new york to florida I don't think there's much of a temperature change. Yeah. So it's like, even though we have like stark changes in like surface temperature, I think at that depth of water, like call it 2000, usually we're fishing inside of that. But for the most part, like that water temps, like within five or six degrees from the North to the South. And so, you know, they're just cruising. Yeah. And when they get in those pockets of shrimp, they get, they turn into pumpkins I think it's so cool watching fish change 
based on time of year and what they eat and all that. It's it's really cool to see. Do you think when they get to a certain size, they move a lot more? Like, are you seeing these larger fish, you know, what you're saying, over 200 pounds, moving out of Florida and going other places or vice versa? You have a theory. Really? No, 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 no. (laughs) I don't have a theory. Okay. So I I know. I know. (laughs) So, so, and this comes back to Dave from Dacus Bones. Careful your feet. Sorry. You know, Dacus is like, um, yo, check this, check this skull out. You could tell that this fish was on the decline Hmm. because, you know, you could take two fish that are identical in weight. And when we look at their skulls that Dave does, there's like major difference between a fish that came from the Caribbean and a fish that came from North Carolina. Really? Major difference. Jaw structure, eyes. Even though it's the exact same fish, but you know they kind of adapt to their to their environment to some extent. And I also think that based on the bones that we've seen, I think they reach a certain size and then they start to decline. You know, you start to see like tumors or you know, let's say a fish is like long line hooked as a juvenile, let go, or buoy fished hooked and let go. He's going to carry that scar with him for the rest of his life. And you're going to see that as the fish matures, like it's grown over, but it's still there. Yeah. So you can see a fish that's much older, that's been hooked as a juvenile. It changes the way that its face looks. Mm. And you can see how it's, you know, it's like that with anything else. Right. Right. It's like humans. But in, you know, Dave and I have collected several 400 pound fish heads, several 500 pound fish heads. We got the, uh, I think it's the North Carolina state record fish Dave just got. Um, and they all look different. Hmm. It's really, really crazy. It's just, you know, I had one that was like 420 in the, or 20 something. I don't I can't remember the exact That's week. a quarter. This episode is also brought to you by LT Marine Products. Since 2011, LT Marine has been designing and developing innovative, unique, and high-quality American-made sport fishing equipment. Taylor and I have known the crew at LT since they started. Chris is a great guy. Uh, We've been using every single piece of equipment um, that he's he's made over the last several years. Um, His rod holders are extremely heavy-duty and high-quality. He has the machining equipment to be able to put your boat name on the face plates um, and do other custom work as well, which is pretty cool. Um, and recently, over the last couple of years, we've worked with him to develop some new products that have actually been very popular amongst the the northeast um, northeast fishermen, specifically offshore and uh, and tuna fishermen. So, two of those products have been. His uh his swim hook for if you're harvesting a big big giant tuna, um you know you want to take care of that fish as as best you can prior to bringing him on board. And part of that process is after the fight, swimming the fish, you know, for a certain amount of time, kind of depending on the health of the fish and and how the fight went. But usually ends up being around an hour to get all the lactic acid out of the muscles and and give a, a better product at the end of the day when we when we sell our when we sell our fish. So 
we helped him design a, an affordable swim hook to be able to tow the fish behind the boat at a low speed <clears throat> and and accomplish that goal. So um, that was a pretty cool product that we that we collaborated on. And another one is uh, the new LT Marine uh, release hook. We've been doing a lot of release fishing for giants uh, over the last couple of years with the way that the quota, the quota has been open and closed. So we've really had a need for a way to properly revive these fish and get them back into uh, into good health upon release. So um, if you go on the LT Marine website, you can see the release hook there. Uh, you can also go on our Instagram, Facebook, and see how we have it rigged. But it's a it's a tool that we've implemented um, into our our process aboard our boats, and and it um, it makes releasing fish a lot safer for the crew, a lot better for the fish, and um, it's a really high quality product. Um, we used it all season, never had a problem, never broke it. So definitely check out that new that new release hook. Um, from LT, um, or if you want to see any of Chris's products, visit ltmarineproducts.com. Please make sure you use the promo code CBROS for 10% off your next order. I think I might cry if I see a, a swordfish that big next to the boat. It's pretty yeah. awesome. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. It's so sick. Sometimes they just come out. Oh, Louis sent me a video the other day. He's like, um, fish is coming over the rail on a long line boat. He's like, how big do you think this is? I'm like, definitely 700 ish. Yeah. And usually like when they get over a certain size, you hook them, you fight them. They just die. Yeah. They just die. You know, they just have Same a heart attack. And stop. Heart attacks, all that kinds of stuff. On, on that big one down in the keys, when we put the fish on the deck, she was just oozing eggs out her, out her, uh, you know, out the back. Yeah. Just oozing orange eggs were just kind of flowing out of her. Wow. And, um, I, you know, it, it, it's definitely crazy that, that, you know, no one really knows for sure. There's not very much swordfish data that's out there, although the swordfish data that is out there is pretty astounding and not what you'd think it would be. Like mm. they tag these things and they put these acoustic tags in it. And then they tell you, yeah, for us to get the data that the fish has to pop the antenna out of the water and you're thinking to yourself like i just caught this fish deep dropping like you might never get the data off this thing mm -hmm. and then like two days later you get 50 pings that she was swimming on the surface for miles and then does it every day then thereafter for weeks so it, it's pretty astounding really you know? is for it's, your, it's, it's really crazy your body to be able to tolerate that much temperature change that much pressure change yeah. the sensitivity to light with their eyes it's a pretty resilient animal. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I, I've got uh, I've got some really cool, like swordfish eye, big eye eye, and giant bluefin eye. And when you look at the orbit of the eye, they're all really different. Hmm. You know, but those three particular fish can tolerate that kind of up down um, migration quickly, mm. and um, you know, without like gassing out and their eyes pop out of their head. And uh, you know, one thing that's consistent on all those three is that orbit is like dense bone. Yeah. You know, and, and, and some of that, it plays into like just their hunting characteristics. You know, they need to like heat that eyeball to see. Right. And keep it insulated. Yeah. But those giant tunas, I can't wait to see. I've never actually, I don't know if anyone's got one, but uh giant tuna skulls and uh, you know, the, the orbit in their eye 
It looks like a mushroom. Huh. It's like tapered at the bottom. Interesting. Super interesting. And I don't know that that has to do with them being able to look and move that eye backwards, forwards to see kind of more behind it. But it's definitely different than a swordfish eye. And it's definitely different than a big eye eye or a yellowfin eye. It's unique. That's cool. Super cool. We've caught a few tuna fish with some weird scars and you know wounds from previously being hooked and it's amazing to see like how they regrow and heal we caught one that was like 100 plus inch air 600 plus pounder this year and um we're dragging it tail roped and he's still kicking pretty good and the dart shots were towards a tail because he came up tail wrap we're like let's swim him back he had like half his color was like gone he was like brown halfway down just from being wrapped up and you know drowning basically so we wanted to try to revive him a bit. So we reached down to put the swim hook, the kill swim hook in his mouth. And his lower jaw had split from his throat all the way to the tip of his lower jaw at some point in his life. Whether he'd been hooked and tore out in a, as a baby through a crucifier, I have no idea. But it had regrown all the way back, like underneath his tongue. And then he had rows of teeth on both sides. It had all regrown. Yeah, it's, it's just like seriously, yeah. like shark bites. Like you think about, you know, you don't always hinge hook them, even with inline circle hooks. You gut hook one every now and then. You think about like those clouds of blood as you have pressure on the wound, leadering them and stuff. And you're like, oh man, I don't know if he's gonna make it. Then you see one with like a mortal, wound mortal <laughs> wound, and it's like half his back missing. Third, your muscles gone. Like, yeah. how did you not die? You know, or how you know, or at least just in that couple hours after getting bit. It's pretty wide. Well, that one was Sam Law that he caught with the hole through its gill plate. Yeah, it had a com- he could it's like see a six inch diameter hole. And the right rakers had plates. grown, like the rakers had grown around the hole yeah, and stuff. Somebody yeah. probably darted it. Maybe got yeah. off and yeah. things That's survived. Nuts. Absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, what else right. he got? So I'm gonna ask this kind of just general. It's kind of back to tactics, and then um, I want to hear about all the boats you fish on and and all that sort of thing because you have done a lot. Um, We've talked about bottom fishing, talked about mid the want and desire to spend a week midwater drifting um, baits. Out of these methods, what's your favorite for pelagic fishing? Trolling lures, chunk, live bait drift, deep drop fishing, bait and switch dredge fishing slash teaser fishing. I love it all. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to be a problem. I just, I do. I love it all. Yes. Yeah. I was, I was like hoping you'd ask me this question. I got a good answer for you. Yeah. I feel like a lot of great fishermen get really, really good at something and they stick with it. Mm. Right. And it's tough to get them to come outside that comfort zone, but you know, just kind of little history here. I always think anyone who wants to like do anything in this industry needs to attend ICAST mm. cause it's not open to the public. It's everyone that's in the industry. Anyway, a couple of years ago, it's a long time ago, maybe 12, 13 years ago. I'm walking around the show. There's Larry Dahlberg. And I walk over to him. I'm like, yo, Larry, what's up? I'm a huge fan. He's like, tell me about yourself. So we started talking. And we had a common Guy's connection. A legend. Yeah, we, we had a common connection. And the connection was, uh, you know, he, he fishes with the guy who owns Jack Link's Beef Jerky. Mm. His captain happened to be my best friend, Justin Shum. Hmm. And uh, Justin tells Larry, you know, Whatever. I cast is over. I invite Larry to come down sword fishing. And um, um, J- 
Justin and Larry get to talking and Justin's like, oh yeah, you should go sword fishing. So we end up shooting a show together and spending time with Larry, you know, it's, it's so unique. Cause he's like one of those guys. that's a personality. That's definitely by far like that guy that I can just call up on a long drive and we could just talk for a while. And his perspective is so unique because he's like, you know, listen, even though you figured out this fishery, don't think that there's not other ways to target the same exact fish a better way. Everyone's just looking at it through one keyhole, but there's other keyholes all around that idea. Yeah. You've just got to take the time and work at it. So when you ask me, you know, do I like deep dropping, dead bait trolling, trolling lures, trolling live bait, you know, chunking, I love it all because there's a time and a place for each one of those right. approaches. And it's being able to like pull in your box of tools and knowing when to apply one technique over other techniques, you know, and I, I kind of got away from tournament fishing because, you know, it's like, oh man, we got to go fish. The fishing's going to suck and the weather's going to be terrible. And it's like, it's, a, it's like, this isn't fun anymore. It's yeah. not fun anymore because it's, it's like you're cutting 50 pound mahis off because we're in a sailfish tournament. And, but, you know, listen, I mean, I love fishing tournaments. Don't get me wrong. I love the competition. I love all that stuff. But I also think, you know, when you ask me that question, what do I love more? I love having all of that ready to go yeah. and being able to pull that toolbox out at that time, Yeah. you know, where I see the fish converting from a, a jig bite to a popper bite. Yeah. And it's like, boom, you're ready to go. You just got to do some lure changes. And like, you know, yeah. that happened this year, you know, our buddy Kevin on blue line charters, like kind of pay, you know, well, Kevin and Lou both were out there and saw the porpoises pushing and the tune is right up on them. And, you know, Lou has definitely traveled the world and done shit. Most people don't do, but I don't ever remember anyone throwing poppers for yellow fins on that gully to, you know, like that local close bite. I mean, yeah, it's been around for a few years, but it was, it's not really something where everyone was like, oh, dude, we got to go out and get mad mantis palpers now. You know, I need them. I need them. I need them. This is yeah. the only thing they're biting. You know, listen, you need to be able to be good at all of those things and then know when to apply them in the fishery. Right. Totally. Um, and I do love them all, but I kind of get burned out on one if I have to do it for too long. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. We feel we feel exact that with the tournaments are can be brutal. Yeah, they are fun, obviously, when you're successful. Yeah, the stars align, but I feel like I know you're like put in this box that you can't fully control. Yeah, yeah. you and can only fish these boundaries. You can only fish these times. You can tough. only fish. You got to be in certain times. I remember fishing one tournament. We were fishing some tournament in the Bahamas, and um, you had to catch a wahoo, a dolphin. What was it? a tuna, a marlin. You had to catch all those species, but there was like an exit time and a, and a return time. Hmm. And it was like day one of the tournament and like, we're running back in and we're just watching these birds go nuts and we're just seeing tunas air out. And we're like thinking to ourselves like, Oh man, we got to make it to weigh in. And I, I, I just, you know, if I had like one regret, it was just being like, yo, fuck weigh in. We're just going to stay <laughs> dark. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I actually did that one time with uh, the Miss Wilder boys. We were just like, so Steve Diffenbacher's fishing with them, right? Yeah, I th I think so. Steve, I did he just transition with I them? I don't know. I, I want to say it's Steve. been like if he dude. did, it was recent because 
when we picked up tails from Steve last year, he was with another owner. Mm-hmm. And then he, and that might have just happened, I think. I don't know. Steve, Steve's a Florida boy. Or maybe he's fished with them like as crew or something for a while. And then I'm not sure entirely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so no, 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 no worries. You were coming back from a tournament and. Yeah, when we did that, like it was like we had like three yellow fins in the box. It was just a kind of a grindy tournament. Like you knew it wasn't and, gonna and happen. Everyone was kind of grinding, like in the canyon that we were in, like the stick boats were doing well and catching tunas, but like no one was really doing much. It was like one random blue marlin bite and stuff. And all of a sudden, like the whites were like showing themselves and we were like, fuck this. Like, yeah, like catch <laughs> <laughs> the white marlin. Catch the white marlin. Like, you know, get our count up here a little bit and have like a like reasonable, you know, canyon trip. Not yeah. that, you know, even a slow trip is reasonable because you're in the canyons, but it was, it was just funny, you know? It is funny. Um, I, uh, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> anyway, love knowing all those tactics. Cause, yeah. You know, a lot of guys that troll aren't really that great at rigging Ballyhoo. And I feel like it's always a great thing to like take a season and be like, okay, I'm going to do something totally different this year mm. just so that I can know it better. Yeah. You know, I definitely think Ballyhoo is but by far, you know, I don't ever pull stingers on my bars that are, you know, machine heads. They're always Ballyhoo. Yeah. Yeah. Islander yeah we did a Ballyhoo. lot of Ballyhoo behind bars this year too. Yeah. Up by us. If you take the same approach, like, you know, this leader in the, that, tension and detail that we do with the you know big giant eye giant bluefin tunas and apply it to like rigging ballyhoo and stuff you're going to be an absolute stud out there yeah you know like if you put that much detail into every aspect every tactic like you're saying yeah extra 20 percent pays off 50 totally. percent of the time totally um this episode is brought to you by rodan marine systems this past season we partnered up with rodan marine they produce extremely high quality trolling motors slash GPS anchors. We have a 30 foot center console. It's actually a 2801 Parker with a bracket considered a large center console. And we do a ton of anchor fishing. We fish on anchor a lot inshore in the rivers um, and inshore waters around the South shore, Massachusetts and throughout Cape Cod Bay uh, live bait fishing for striped bass. Uh, we also fish on anchor a ton. I would say 75% of the time while we're offshore tuna fishing, live bait fishing, uh, we're on anchor. So having the ability to quickly stop the boat, deploy an anchor and not have to use, you know, 400 feet of anchor line and deal with swing on a tide change and not easily being able to reposition it's kind of a no-brainer for us to uh, reach out to Rodan and and see if they would um, be interested in in putting one of their trolling motors on our boats. We've been fortunate enough to use Rodan's down in Florida uh, with a couple of our buddies who've actually been on the podcast, Jason Stock and Dave White, and we were extremely impressed by them when we used them on their boats, and their boats are of comparable size to ours. So we ended up getting. You know, thanks to Rodan, we ended up getting a their 36 volt HD GPS trolling motor with the 96 inch shaft. It seemed to be the the right size, right fit for our center console, and the thing is just unbelievable. We're able to put it into the test in a variety of sea conditions. We found that you know anything you know a consistent two to four foot chop um as long as the wind isn't 
super, super gusty, we were not moving. Like our position did not change throughout the day, throughout a tide change. It really was or is truly incredible. So just a couple of things. We gave we gave this thing a full season before, you know, we wanted to give a testimonial for it. You know, there's a lot of different, you know, crazy products on the market. Um, technology's come a long way and you know, we really want to see if this thing could hold up to our charter season and the elements up here in the northeast. And it it really impressed us. So we installed the the motor ourselves, just Taylor, uh, myself, and uh, our new mate, Ben, kid that worked for us in the 2022 season and hopefully will be with us for years to come. Um, we installed it ourselves. We decided to go with a 36-volt uh, lithium battery. It's lighter than lead acid. It requires less storage space. You don't need as many batteries. And we're actually able to get 10... I want to say 12 plus hours of runtime before we needed to charge, which is, which is crazy. You know, we charge every day after each trip, but you know, if we had doubles or you know, double inshore trips or anything like that, we, we really didn't have to worry about it. So some of the situations and um, really benefits that we found of using a spot lock troll motor, you know, GPS anchor, trolling motor, specifically Rodan were tide changes there's no swing so if you know you have several hundred feet of anchor line and you're positioned on a piece of bottom there's really no movement there is no movement at all on a tide change so you can stay in the sweet spot for longer the other thing is wind against tide so you know they're when they're opposite each other it's hard to send baits out we have little tricks that we use to try to get baits away from the boat in that situation but it's often difficult and Many times you're only fishing or able to fish one rod. So with the with the trolling motor anchor, you know, on the sp- on the center console, we could still fish three rods off the bow and have a full spread, and it it helped us get more bites. Absolutely, um, you know, both inshore and offshore. Uh, the support I think is the most impressive and most important thing with with Rodan. You know. Salt water is a harsh environment. Charter fishing, you're beating, you're beating your equipment up pretty good. I'm sure any other charter captains listening to this can attest that everything breaks, and you got to fix a lot of stuff yourself in order to, you know, keep going through the season and keep going trip to trip. So, uh, if we ever had an issue, which we had a couple of minor, minor wear and tear issues, Rodan overnighted us parts. Their support is unbelievable easy to easy to fix and and modify things on your own um just a great product so uh, we wanted to we wanted to give a you know honest testimonial of the product and we're really impressed so if you're interested in uh in adding a a rodan to your to your boat for this next season you can uh, visit rodanmarine.com and you'll see the entire lineup of their trolling motors and GPS anchors, all different shaft lengths, voltages. And uh, we think you'll be impressed. So check them out. It will definitely be a game changer in the way that you fish on anchor. So I think that's kind of a good segue into you. So 
you know, we've known you a little bit through the grapevine. We've run into each other at shows, you know, shot the shit, told a few C stories, but, um, kind of reader's digest for us and the listeners, you know, kind of how you got into fishing, but then more specifically, like the programs that you're focusing on now and the areas that you're fishing right. now. So my name is Seth Funt and I got a serious fishing problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great intro. Yeah. <laughs> um, I grew up in a little town called Stony Brook, New York. And in my backyard, you know, we had this area called Conscience Bay, which was like a tributary to Port Jeff Sound fed into Long Island Sound. So I grew up, you know, I got pictures like me and my little brothers when we were like four years old, two years old, you know, infants, just like harvesting killies and minnows and crabs and shit out of the backyard, learning how to clam as a little kid. My dad had a boat. We kept it out in Montauk and for my whole life. Or I should say, until I was, you know, 18, 20 years old, every summer be out in Montauk. You know, when it's your dad's boat, it's like whatever he wants to do. Yeah. Um, be bass, shark, some tuna fishing, an occasional canyon trip. And, uh, you know, we'd always hop on some other people's boats. But that was kind of um, the early beginnings of my fishing career. Um you know, we were partners in a lobster boat business with a, with a great family called the Carmens, Billy Carmen, Roger Carmen, Billy Carmen, uh, you know, salt of the earth, one of the best dudes ever. Definitely, in my opinion, one of those dudes who just like, no one knows him, but it's taught me more about boat maintenance. And if you can't be good at that, you can't really totally climb the ladder, so to speak, you know? Yeah. So give him a lot of credit, but, um, Montauk was my beginnings. And you know, during all that time, I fly fished, I bass fished, traveled to Florida, did all that kind of inshore junkie shit. Uh, graduated college, Roger Williams moved down to Florida. Laxboro, right? <laughs> You're a lacrosse guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, we could get into that in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or on another podcast. But, but. <laughs> um, when I got down to Florida, um, you know, studying for my real estate license. And I remember making this, like, this was like before the age of like internet was really, there was no forums or anything to really talk on yet. Mm. So I made this page with a bunch of cutouts for my phone number at the bottom. And I went to the local West Marine in Miami and I punched it up on the like job postings board. And I get a call from this dude, um, Neil Preston, who ran a little boat down in, um, down in, um, in the, in, it was like right on the Miami kind of keys, key, you know, key Largo area. And he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, it looks like you got a lot of cool pictures. Let's fish. So he introduced me to kite fishing. And from there, you know, got to fish with some of the greats in the kite fishing industry before it was ever a thing. You know, it was really specific to like the keys and Miami and really no one else had really started doing it yet. And, uh, that gave me a totally different foundation live bait cast netting. I can't tell you like how big of a lack of pe like in the Northeast. When you, you know, I, I compare the two, it's like bait fishing is so centric to your success. And if you can't be good at dialing in the bait, you'll never be good at really dialing the fishery. Mm. So in the keys, it was all about the bait, the ballyhoo, the pilchards, you know, the goggle eyes and all that stuff and uh, sardines. And, uh, my folks had bought a place down in West Palm beach Moved the boat down to Palm Beach, and my brother and I kind of took some time and 
like started working the docks at Sailfish Marina as as mates on boats. And of course, you know, one opportunity leads to another. Um, you work your way down the line. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, fish with some good captains, you're invited to fish with other people. And then that leads to other opportunities. Um, but the constant thing there is like, you have to have a passion for what you're doing, right? So it really shows that if you're really, you know, you're the first one there and the last one to leave and like focused all day, th- that allows doors to open up for you to go to bigger and better places. So, um, my folks house down there, uh, we have a neighbor, uh, Dave Anderson, who's got a boat called the crazy salts and, uh, captain, uh, uh, Keith Greenberg is, uh, in my opinion, probably the best sailfish blue Marlin fisherman on the planet today, as far as fishing in our local waters for Bahamas and, uh, and, uh, and Florida. And yes, he has his influences, but for me, you know, the way he runs the cockpit, the way he ran, he ran his operation was from years of fishing with people that were better than him. And, you know, all these things kind of trickle through and you put your own spin on it. But to see sport fishing done at the highest level with unlimited boats, with unlimited funds for whatever it takes to go be as successful as, as you need to be. If you fish with a, a few of those programs, you, you, you get to see things like in a different way. You know, when there's just unlimited budgets for things, um, what works, what doesn't work, where's a waste of money, where's your money better spent. Right. And the common thread through every one of those programs is like hard work, dedication, no fucking around. Yeah. Like we have a purpose and that's to be the best at something. Yeah. And you can't let drugs, alcohol, drama, bullshit get in the way of that. And I also have a, a tremendous amount of respect for people that, that find that balance between family and fishing because fishing can like uh, uh, rule your life. hundred mm-hmm. percent. And so, so can everything else, you know, and it's yeah. just, it's finding a balance. And, um, and I definitely think that that's the common thread with all the greatest programs on the planet. You got to have somebody who's funding it. Obviously they got to enjoy it enough to fund it. But when you, peel back all the tape and you really look at the captain, the mate, whoever else is part of that operation for the most part, like the passion and the seriousness, like it's all there. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's the common thread through all this. Yeah. You gotta be obsessed. Yeah. You gotta be sick. Obsessed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And even some guys who get most of the attention, everyone learned it from somewhere else. Totally. Right? Everyone learns, I don't care who you are, Mm -hmm. you you know, there's this trickle down and it's kind of funny that, uh, you talk to some of these old timers they are like, oh, these kids don't know. I'm like, ah, these kids know more than you knew at that age. Mm. Cause there's more information for us available. You know, it's easy to get it too. If you want to learn how to rig a ballyhoo, go watch 50 videos on YouTube. You're going to learn how to rig a ballyhoo. Right. Yeah. You know, but the guys who are rigging them the best aren't making the videos, Mm -hmm. but you got to start. You got to do it. Yeah, you gotta start somewhere. You can catch a million fish with the, the watching YouTube and yeah. applying it. But I I agree with that to do better. I agree. You gotta I, fish. With I would them. say you you can get like eighty percent there because right. then there's the time. That's a big. There's jump, the timing. Though. Like you can rig a value, but if you can't rig the right amount and the right size values and kind of translate yeah. that into the type of Where fishing to you're put gonna, them in the like spread. that's the twenty percent that makes that fifty percent difference. Oh, there's a little know? trick on value that you'll never see in any video. It's like. Where the fins stop and the tail starts, and if you're squeezing the spine to kind of get them limber, 
there's a little spot where you lift the tail up about 20 degrees. Break it. No, that just makes him really swim true. Oh, by yeah. actually straightening. Yeah, lifting. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That little spot in the yep. tail where you just like kind of give it a 20, 20 degree little crack up. Good tip. And that, yeah. that really just makes the bait plain out. But, you know, you got to rig thousands of baits to get to that point. To, yeah. I like to, take to the, just feel it. The tail too and really spread the yeah, tail up. So the tail, the tail up. itself actually wants a drag like a yeah. shad. Yeah. You know, pull yeah. that bait. But, but you know, over my career, I've got to fish with some absolutely unbelievable operations. And I always think it's really key that, you know, when you get an opportunity to go fish on other people's boats, um, you, you've just got to be a learner and a listener and a helper and try and, you know, this one captain um, had, it was in a job interview. And in the job interview, he gets asked the question. Like, what do you think is the most important thing about a great captain? And he stopped and he thought, and his answer was, he has to be able to see into the future. And it's like, that's really an interesting answer. Like, we'll explain that. And he's like, well, if everyone's sick, you got to have enough, you know, wherewithal to say like, okay, we're, we're going home. Yeah. You know, this isn't going to be fun. We're going to, but more or less like. The bite's really hot right now, but in 20 minutes, it's going to stop. Now we need to make our move. Mm. You need to be able to think about what's going to happen next and make that move bef- so you can be there first on site for, for whatever's going to be next. And I always think about that. I always think about what's going to happen in the future. Where is this going? When is the bite slowing? Where do we need to move to? Um, but, you know, a lot of people have a lot to learn from other people, and I always think – you know, I have great admiration for um, Larry Dahlberg because I always come back to some of the discussions we've had together, which are, you know, never stop learning. Don't get content with what you've achieved. There's always more to do. There's always another way to do it. There's always other things to learn. You can always take something from somewhere else and apply it to whatever you're doing. And I'll give you an example. Like in the sport fishing world right now, this would be a great article. And I don't think it's written enough about, but it's like some of the sailboat tackle rigging rollers you see now really making a swing into the sport fishing world where it's like how they move halyard lines things and the ways that they rig are working their way into sport fishing boats and if you really really look you can find it yeah. in the high end operations but you know like fly fishing you know like like these flies you know i learned how to fly tie when i was a kid and you know it's just come back to like that Larry thing, you know, it's just like, you know, that little, you know, what does everyone use? Like a little rubber squid in front of their baits, you know, like, well, let's reimagine that. How do we make this look realer? How do we give ourselves more confidence? Yeah. It's just a confidence builder, you know? Mm. And I, and, and I just, think sweet. I just think it's, it's all about, um, you know, getting your level of confidence up and, uh, having a lot of tools at your disposal and you, you learn a lot from a lot of different operations. So, don't stop learning. Don't stop growing. Mm-hmm. You're never there. You know, even the best. Always <laughs> learning. Yeah. Always learning. Always learning. Look at things different. Every year. It's amazing, really. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I said before, like one of my best friends is Lou DeFusco. And um, Lou always does like an adventure trip. We're going to Panama. He just sent me a thing. It was just like, I don't know. It was somewhere in Africa. He's like, yo, dude, let's go do Seychelles. Let's go do Egypt. Let's go do some crazy shit. But, you know, you need to do those trips. You need to get outside your comfort box yeah. and see things a different way sometimes mm-hmm. and kind of come back and 
re-examine the way you're doing things. And you got to dream. Like, you know, you want to travel to a place, like you work hard enough and talk to enough people. It's crazy how quick you realize how small the fishing network is. And all of a sudden you're like shooting the shit daily with someone in the destination location you want to go. Yeah. You know, just being a people person's important learning from everyone to your point, learning from your elders, but also learning from the new generation. Like there's, you know, shit. I'm still learning from kids that are 15 years younger than me, you know? Yeah. Um, you can always learn. Yeah. What's something that you learned from another country or whatever that you've applied? Say, look, most of our listeners are Northeast listeners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's something from down South that, you know, you've applied up here recently that right, may have so, given you an edge on something? So some guys are doing it. It's going to start catching on and be more of a bigger thing. More, You're going to start to see it more of a staple in the coming years for the guys who really want to kind of like, well, how do we make our spread look better? Not enough guys up here dredge fish. And I don't care if you're pulling mullets. I don't think really natural baits make a lot of sense up in the Northeast for tuna fishing. Just because, you know, you're going to lose the whole thing. Yeah. One pack of eyeballs. But yeah. I do think Oops. that giving, you know, if you think about it like this, those fish aren't milling around on the surface all day. Those fish are down 100 feet, down kind of somewhere where the light starts to dissipate and they can be more of a natural predator. Mm. Um you know, they're looking up and they see this boat. They're not going to see, you know, yeah, they're going to see some bars, but it's not really that impressive. Even if you got six or seven bars out there, yeah, it's making a lot of noise and yeah, you got some color, but you need to get something like a ball of shit that's substantial enough to get them to come and take a closer look. And maybe I think, you know, I definitely think like flap dredges, um, rubber, it's something that's going to be profiles. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dredges, dredge fishing, watching fish come to a dredge. You get to learn how fish approach a bait and take the bait, whether it's billfish or wahoo or tuna or mahi or whatever. They're going to come to the dredge and then they're going to fade off and eat a bait. Yeah. So when you start dredge fishing, you're going to learn more about how the fish are feeding that particular day quicker. Mm. Um, tunas, I definitely think that trolling dredges is a huge advantage. You know, we're not, always trolling dredges when we fish the canyons. Yeah. Huge. You know, there's a lot of like a lot of tournaments that we've done. There's not a lot of guys that are. And how many, how many, how many tiers on the dredge? Usually well, it depends. Just, yeah. Artificial single, squids, single tier, we'll but a lot like of baits. Long drops, you know, 50, a lot of baits, 60 baits tight, so they aren't tangling upon deployment. So I like three tier. You do six arms, two, two loops on the top. The next one, uh, six arms, one loop. The next one, six arms, one loop, half the size. So it's like it's just like a chandelier. Like, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I massive think, profile. Yeah, huge profile. Yeah. I mean, you got to get something to get the whole herd up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, it sucks when you go out there and you're tuna fishing. And it's like one rod. You know, eh, maybe you get another one. But I feel like there's just that situation could have been converted into an all rod bend. So much easier if you just had enough shit in the water to get the herd to come up. Yeah. And take a look. You gotta shake things up a little bit. Yeah, totally. And it also allows you to see how aggressive they're being. Yeah. You know, like if they're coming in eating flat lines off the dredge hard, like probably everything's gonna get bit mm -hmm. and you know that they're in feed mode. And then all of a sudden, if it's like a single trickle on the long, 
even with right. the dredges out, you're like, eh, we're not doing anything wrong. They're just really not biting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. One, one thing we do, um, I haven't seen a lot of it done here, but it's definitely big in my mantra, which is um, we always have a pitch bait ready. Not so much for billfish, but um, I have this cool video on Instagram somewhere. It's like a tuna laying on the deck. And these, like, all these squid are in the live well looking through the tank at the, at the tuna. <laughs> like, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. But I always keep one of those squid, like, ready to go, hooked up. And it's like, everything goes off. Fire out of bait. Yeah. Open the bale. Just let it go. Clear your shit. And how often do you get bites? Like I said, I might get a bite one or two times out of ten. But still sick. But it's like... Another fish that we wouldn't have normally got. Yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. make or break um, a trip. Yeah, I mean, if you sit and you watch footage, you know, rod goes off, shit gets cleared, everyone's just hanging up. Put somebody on the bow, fucking flatlining some shit down at 100 feet. Like, yeah, yeah. They're all together, you know, in the Bahamas, we learned that when you're trolling and we're trolling for yellowfins, sometimes it's almost impossible to get the yellowfin to come up and eat a bait. What you've got to do is hook a skippy and let them dump the reel back down into the spool. Hmm. clear the spread start reeling in the skippy slow and he's coming up like this you know and as he comes up to the surface all the other fish are kind of like what's he what's he what's what's going on over there it's like an attractor you know yeah. he's going to go back to the herd and bring the herd to you yeah so uh, i've always thought about um i wonder if you could know. do that with other fish yeah it's it's definitely i mean listen yellow fins aren't just like sing they're not just out there by themselves there's a herd of them mm. you hooked one what happened? Yeah. Now you're back on the troll again. It's like, oh, I don't know, man. Maybe you hook one and stop and start jigging. It's just start chunking. Start, start just. Lou and I had a sick trip this year. It was the best trip ever. We get out there. <laughs> we get out there. It, it, I, I think I put like a Grateful Dead song on it too. But um, we get out there and it's a fucking terrible shitty day. Like no boats are out there. It was a horrible run out there. We got like two bars out. Like, fuck, we're going on like a 10 knot chug down sea just to get to where the fish have been. We're looking for whales. Conditions are terrible. And uh, like, boom, one of the bars gets hit. And we like reel all the shit in and like Lou's looking at the sounder. He's like, dude, I'm marking some shit like mid depth. And like, we just, like I said, like we got those rods ready to go, you know, get a couple jig rods, a couple pop rods, a couple Ron Z rods, a couple chunk rods. It's all there. Mm. And, you know, what's my favorite approach? I don't know. In that situation, it just seemed like, fuck, let him fight the fish. And why don't we just jig for a little while while we're yeah. all just waiting for this thing to come in? We ended up catching 12 yellowfin all in the 90-pound class. Every single one was on the jig, and every single one was like one pulse off the bottom. It's insane. What the fuck? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. What, what the fuck? I mean, <laughs> it's not like we went out there intending to jig. Yeah. We just went out there prepared for whatever... It's yeah. going to happen and wow. just read it and, you know. <laughs> I could definitely think of some times you should have done something like that. Oh, yeah. No, percent I definitely you think know? having two jig rods out on the sides and as soon as you get bit, fire the jig. Yeah. Just drop the jig in the water, lock the bale, put it down. Same thing with a Ron Z, like a jig and a Ron Z and clear the spread. But yeah. At least you got more baits fishing. Totally. And and I and I do think when you're fighting fish, it, it, it's, 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 you know, motion creates yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. commotion. Yeah. Yeah, just thinking like those single big eye bites or double big eye bites where they're kind of like, you know, they only eat the long riggers. Yeah. I'm not to fire some other shit out. Back to your skipjack uh, comment and strategy. 
I think a big part of that too, like, you know, say you pull the skippy out of what's clearly like a school abate on the sound or you're doing your whole let them out, pull them back up from the school. I think a lot of that bite is the bait dispersing because they're spooked by whatever bait fish you're putting in or taking out. You know, like all of a sudden it's like, boom, they can pinpoint that one bait because everything's scattered for a split second for them to see that bait. Like we see with bass fishing and the pogies, even like on anchor giant tuna fishing with herring and stuff. How many times do we get a bite when you just like literally walk, like you got herring pinned, it's 10 feet off the bottom. You're like, I know there's a tuna here. And then you let a bait out five feet or you take one crank on it. You just check, you just hold the tether on the down rod to see if you can feel the vibration, make sure that he's still swimming. You put it back and wham, you're on. Yeah. Because you're just creating enough separation from the bait for them to see it. You know? So what you said is really interesting because like when I'm sword fishing, one of my biggest tricks is like always be moving the baits. Yeah. Up, down, just constantly blowing up, you know, emitting light, moving, motion, that stuff's really important. It is. And you don't want to overdo it. Like You have to read the situation, like yeah. you're saying. Like I'm not just going to constantly reel a down rod herring up. Yeah, no, he's going to drown. Time and place for everything. Yeah, time and place for everything. But I think that makes it, when you're fishing in the bait, at times it makes a really big difference. Like that one with uh, dad, like herring was pinned. It was like false bottom reading, like maybe a foot or two off the bottom. We marked one arc right on it on the bottom. Like... He's got that shit in a puck on the bottom. Smash the weight into the mud, pull it up eight feet. Comes, yeah, that herring disperses. The only herring that's left there on the bottom is that one tuna fish. And a lot of the times, that pocket of herring might only be a hundred yards around your boat, and then whammo, you're on. That's yeah. what happened. Yeah. Just watching you know? the bass and the pogies. You know, you, you snag a pogie or you, you're dropping down a dead pogie in the school trying to get a bass. Yeah. So many, almost all the bites, it's like, when your when your shit disperses that bunch of bait, you know, when you're ripping it up through the school, like you're taking the dead ones, dropping them to the bottom, basically reeling as fast as we can up ten feet, and the school pocket would just open up, and then we just let it free fall, and it was yep. pff, on. You, know, you were on, yeah, and you wouldn't get a lot of bites otherwise because they can't see the fucking bait, yeah, yeah, you know? it's too much, too much. It is. So moving baits is this is a perfect segue to one of my questions actually. Moving baits. What are three, it could be tactics, could be items, do you use or bring with you or whatever, deep dropping for swordfish that you think gives you a huge edge on everybody else? Always fresh lights. Fresh lights. I would have never thought of that. Fresh lights. So, hmm. Like you're talking the, uh, the water activated small little lights. Oh, yeah. Like, hmm. uh, you know, they have a built-in battery. Yeah. It's got a life on it. You use it. It's the strongest when it first goes on, and then it kind of slowly tapers down. And I think if you're going to put the time and effort and going out and doing it, I think it's like twenty bucks a light. Yeah, yeah. fresh lights every time for sure. Really interesting. I haven't heard that before. Fresh lights. It's good. Makes a, big di- makes a big difference. Really. Now, are you using like diamond lights, or do you use like the cheapo ones you can buy in big bags? Have you seen a difference? Oh. Dude. Huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's like, listen, you can go out and buy fluorocarbon, but I will, I don't fish with you guys, but I'll bet you anything. There's one brand you fish and there's probably one or two sizes you fish. Yes. And you won't even consider anything else. No. Correct. Correct. Okay. So same thing with the lights. It's like okay. somebody figured out how to make them cheaper using cheaper elements. They kind of look the same. A lot of times they'll step on a boat and 
you know, if I'm going sword fishing with somebody else, this is like a few things I'm going to bring, like a couple of my own wine on liters, mm. fresh lights and certain hooks and mm. fresh bait. You know, so what do you got? Oh, I got all this free pre-rig baits, you know, wine on's always too heavy, no fresh lights. And I think like getting back to that thing, extra 20% effort. Yeah. 50% of the time it'll pay off. Yeah. So three things, fresh lights, um, always fresh baits, always never go out there with frozen baits ever. I, at least I don't. Um, and the third would definitely be uh, like fresh leaders. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, how, how often do you guys, uh, do you use the same giant tuna leader the whole season? No. Every day we put change, change two every or three trip. days, every trip. Yeah. Two days. If it's like, if beautiful. it doesn't get bit yeah. and you can clean it off, like right. you might fish it once or twice, but yeah. after a trip or two, you're going to put it in a bag and save it for a shark. Save it question mark. For yeah. Release day, whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, that shit's expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, what are you paying a hundred dollars for 25 yards? Yeah. Maybe, we, maybe less. You get a deal on it, but yeah. um, you know, it's expensive shit. It is. Well, you're going to go sword fishing. Like you need fresh leader. Or learn how to tie your own. Yeah. Sure. Hmm. But fresh leaders, fresh lights, and fresh bait. That fresh be, lights. Because for me, it's it's a confidence thing. If I put baits down and I don't feel confident, I, I just I, like I'm not into it. Yeah. But if I feel like I've taken out every fuck up that can happen and I'm presenting the best baits that I can possibly present, then I'm fully engaged. And I just feel like when you're mentally feel like I couldn't have done anything more perfect. Right. It just seems like it happens more often when you're fully focused. And you're willing to take more risks. If you know those things are perfect, you know they're not biting. You're willing to move. You're willing to, you know, try yeah. different structures. Instead of having to prove Instead that Instead of out. just fucking sitting there with the same old shit, doing the same drift all day long. Yeah. And, you know, I was also thinking, um, just to kind of wrap that up, that question, um, there's not a big enough network of guys doing it up here. Like where we are, there's like a hundred guys that are pretty good, but it's like pretty quickly you can like plug into, are they biting? Are they not? Yeah. Um, time of day. Okay. That's all I need to know. I'm going to go to my spots and they're going to be there. Or they're not. But up here, it's like, it's kind of an afterthought. It's like, yeah, let's go try this for an hour. It's like, no, fuck that. Do it from sunrise to sunset. Then we yeah. know if they bit. Right. Yeah. Or when they bit. Or yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, when you're giant tuna fishing, same thing. You're there. Oh, it's all about time. And yeah. you're there until sunset. Yeah. Or you're there until you get a bite. And at any minute, it could happen. Mm -hmm. Same shit, except you're 100 miles offshore. Yeah. You know, mm. but back home for us, it's 20 miles. So it's a 30 minute run. Yeah, that's, that's so awesome. Yeah, you get good at shit Jealous. Quick Yeah, you do it all the time. When it's that accessible. <laughs> yeah. So talking about back home and all that, what does your what does your fishing season look like now? Like you have the new Ross built, you're fishing with your son, getting him into offshore fishing. Kind of take us through your year. Or you can even go through last year if you want, whatever's easiest for you. It, it's kind of crazy because um, I definitely had like a big life transition with, uh, you know, COVID hit. And we had a summer house up in Rhode Island. And, you know, my wife and I were building our Airbnb business, buying a bunch of stuff, getting that all fine-tuned. And um, COVID hit, and the whole homeschool thing just, like, completely overwhelmed us. And it was like, oh, my God, man, these are, like, the most formidable years with our kids. You know, and it's difficult, you know, like, I'm not an educator, yeah. So to be stuck home with two kids with nothing to do and nowhere to go, it's like you have to reimagine life a little bit. Mm. 
And I always try to look at it through the life of like, what, what's fun for my kids? So anyway, summer came to an end of 2021 and kids were going back to school August 12th. And I look at my wife and I'm like, I don't want to leave. Like giant fishing's about to start. All this cool stuff's about to happen and we're having a great time. Why don't we just stay? So at that blink of an eye blink of a moment, we were like, all right, fuck it. Let's move up here. But for me, it was more like, you know, when I was in Florida, kids, my nucleus, Florida. I mean, all, all that's really shifted for me is now the nucleus is Rhode Island, mm-hmm. but I'm still in Florida. I'm traveling to Florida. I'm still have my operations, still have stuff going on. Um, I'm just a little bit more hands-on with um, our Airbnb and our lodge up here. So let me walk you through a normal season. So I will start in January. Right. So January is like prime time for us in Florida for um, sailfish, wahoo, uh, deep dropping in the Bahamas. So I would say that the majority of my time in January is you're playing the weather windows, you're watching the cold fronts, you're fishing, you know, the sailfish tournaments in January. Um, On the calm days, you're making that run to the Bahamas for wahoos. Um, February. You kind of getting bored of the same stuff that you've been doing for the month of January. And you're starting to already start thinking ahead to March, which is going to be that spring transition where we get this, you know, even though we have great weather there, we still have like seasonal fisheries. So the sailfish start to slow down a little bit. Kingfish start to heat up. Mahi fishing starts to heat up. Um, We're starting to really get, you know, the gear ready to do Bahamas tuna fishing. So, uh, January, February, sail fishing, Bahamas. We get into like March and April. Now we're really kind of fine tuning, um, you know, Bahamas weather windows. Wind's going to start shifting around more to the east. Now we're looking at places like, you know, Chubb in the Bahamas. We're looking at areas that have like these, you know, you can go and slam out, you know, white or blue a sail in a day. And you Sick. pretty much do it every day. Yeah. Um, so, so, so in the springtime, we start to, and I always like to try to get my shit ready a month in advance because I don't like to get to a place and have to re-spool reels and make leaders. And I'm like, I'm doing that at night yeah. for fun when the kids go to bed, I'm like watching a game, tying leaders, making rigs, making flies, whatever it is. You know, I feel like my gear is dialed in. Maximizing your time. So that's March, um, April, May, we're rolling out Bahamas tuna um, and long range Bahamas trips. Um, so, you know, Chubb, Walkers, Abacos, shit like that. Like far send trips. That's 120 cool. miles That's beautiful spots there. Mm. Yeah. Um, um, May. Now, you know, we're starting to get ready for the Northeast. So May really, you know, May and June up here is going to be, um, for us, the bass, squid, blackfish. Um, you know. I definitely think we have a push of giants that come in in June. Oh yeah, you definitely do. Yeah. So that's kind of always like a, you know, have the gear ready to go. Right. Yeah. Um, anything can happen in June. I mean, down by you yeah. guys, probably game in May, you can't kill them obviously, but yeah, probably find them in May. We've got them in May on the bank before. Yeah. And years past. So tough. They're moving though. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're in, they're out offshore and shore. Control. So, so I mean, pretty much down here, it's, it's pretty quiet. 
There's not much going on in the Northeast in the winter and in the spring. Mm-hmm. It's pretty quiet. But, you know, in Florida, things start to slow down for us there. Like, I would say by June, summer weather starting to set in. If I was staying in Florida, that would be more of the times where we would be doing fun trips with the family to the Bahamas to go snorkeling for lobster and conch and sweet, you know, yellowtail and kubera snapper fishing. But, you know, the last couple of years, our summers have really been dedicated to the Northeast. So it's like June, July, August, September, balls to the wall tuna fishing. Yeah. Balls to the wall canyon trips, all things Northeast, yep. you know, until the fall time. Um, this year, you know, we giant fished all the way through until like pretty much like a week before Christmas. I think Robbie and I had a 60-inch fish like right before I left for Florida, which was like December 5th or 6th. Yeah. You know, and he let it go. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing, bro? Like, we're never going to see it. That's Christmas so sushi, summer, baby. Oh, it was December so was pretty good. It was me, Straight Tristan, and Robbie. And it was fucking freezing, right? <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, like, dude, if this boat takes on water, we're fucked. Yeah. Right? Thankfully, Smalley was right next to us. Yeah. But I was like, dude, we just got tight. Why didn't we kill that fucking thing? He's like, we can't kill a giant if we catch a giant. And I'm like, dude, Rob, are you out of your fucking mind, dude? Like, <laughs> it's December. Didn't you not get the memo? The fucking season's way over, dude. Those things are up the Carolinas by now. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So then it just kind of loops all over again, you know? Up here, it's just, you know, I definitely think um, I'm super stoked for Louie this year. Louie just got a new 39 CV. That's sick. Totally redoing the boat. Um, it's going to be a project boat re- redone in in, uh, in Stewart by Tribute. Nice. Yeah, it's going to be fucking ridiculous. It's awesome. So um, I'm super stoked that 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 he's got that going on. Robbie's repowering this year, so we'll have fresh wheels on the boat. And then we got the Ross boat. So I, I think you know my little nucleus is always changing, but at the same time, it's we always got some cool shit going on. That's cool. You know, we'd love to fish with you guys. Oh, we'd love to fish with you too. You know, have you do a canyon? I've never fished down there. I'd love to do a, a canyon run and a Bahamas run. I've never gone to the Bahamas. I, I uh, my wife's uncle lives down in uh, Tequesta mm-hmm. area in Florida, and he was a marine insurance guy for a long time. And he's got like hundreds of crossings, and just speaks Easy. the world about it. For us, it's like uh, from like Tequesta, which is like the Jupiter area, yeah, um, to where we are. It's like fifty-eight nautical miles, and you boom like passport clearing into another country so cool yeah and then as you go down south this last trip i did we left out of bimini and went down to like cat island hmm. and fished uh that whole southern chain which i'm not a big fan of but if you couldn't bounce back and forth where would you like to be full time all year i don't think i could ever be i would always be bouncing yeah. i could never you know it's it you know dude like back to the larry thing it's like you know now being able to rediscover fishing through the eyes of my son. Totally. Who's a 10-year-old and super obsessed with it. It's like, how do I craft that to not create a monster, but create a monster? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he's really into trout fishing, and he's really into bass fishing, and he's super into cod fishing and giant fishing. You know, it, dude, it was really funny. Um, we went down to Florida for Christmas, and uh, we, like, go and hit some of our spots that we, we hit. And like on his third cast, he catches this like 12 pound snakehead. And he was more jacked up about that than the tuna. <laughs> and sure. I was just like, I would be too. <laughs> this kid's fucked because uh, he's done too much too quick. Yeah. yeah. But it's really cool to just like totally rediscover fishing through the eyes of a little kid and mentor him through, you know, 
what a great asset this is for an individual to have in their life. Because like you, like me, like all of our friends, it shapes our life. Our life is around weather windows. Our life is around the chase. Our life is around the prep. These are the things that like make us get up in the morning and be stoked to live, you know? And it's like, you know, a lot of people go through life and they just don't have passion, but I can tell, you know, it's like when somebody has a passion for something, there's that connection. There's that like, yo, we're friends. Mm. We don't know each other, but we're fucking boys for life. Yeah. And that's the, that's that, that's that energy that I think is really, you know, unique with fishing that, um, that, that, that I tend to just love being around, you know, it's, it's good energy. You know, everyone that I do business with all the people, all my contractors, all my insurance people, all, whatever it is I do in life, the common thread is fishing. Cause it's like, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's it, you know, not many people get that gift, but it's like, if you can nurture it and you can have that passion for it and go after it, it's awesome. It's, yeah, there's it's, not many things really in life that you could do that you're that bonded with. I mean, I hunting, guess hunting yeah. and fishing yeah. are really the two things. I mean, you could do it with anything, but just fishing is, it's just endless. You know, yeah. like you're never going to master it. No one is ever going to master it. Right. So there's just this like common understanding. That's what Larry was saying. He's yeah. like, dude, once you've mastered something, fucking move on. Yeah. Not move on from the fishery, but move on from the way you're doing it. Yeah. Finding the next keyhole. Hmm. What's the next thing? I don't know. Maybe that's putting baits down a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> that's the trip we should all do. It's the midwater I'm down. trip. Stay out there for a week. Find, find an owner that wants to put in some serious time out there for like a week and just yeah. set a rowdy crew. To Discover some things. Be awesome. Um, that actually kind of dovetails something I was thinking about. Kind of a random question, but we're talking about crew being a well-oiled machine, the extra 20% that brings you 50%, you know, success throughout trips. If you could put together your dream Canyon crew. Oh God. He's going to have to make decisions here. I know. It might cause a little drama whatever, but (laughs) if you had, if you could put together your dream fishing crew, you know, captain, couple mates, yourself, um, and two anglers, let's say. Captain, one, two, three, four, six-person crew. And one of the anglers has to be a celebrity. Who are you picking? Captain, mates, celebrity angler. Where am I fishing? Canyons. It's called, say, canyon trip. Like, double overnighter. You're going there to try to catch as many species as possible. Who do you want on the boat with you? Uh, I have a lot of respect for Mark Decavia. Yeah. I feel like Mark's a salty dude. Uh, I'd be scared to go on the boat with him. <laughs> I, <would. laughs> I have a lot of respect for Mark. Mark said Mark, Mark does well. Um, I love being with Lou. I feel like Lou reads water better than anyone on the planet. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would put Lou as captain. Okay. Okay. Robbie Taylor, just cause he's fucking Robbie. Just the, to gaze at that. I mean, beard you, you need the beard. Um, Mike Feudy. Mike um, Feudy. I don't know if I know him. Mike, Mike's one of our contractor buddies, but like when I look at a perfect crew, not everyone needs to be doing the same fucking thing. Hmm. You need dudes who are just like seeing into the future. Yeah. Cleaning when you're not asking them to do yeah. it. Fucking organizing shit. Yeah. You know, just, you need those dudes who are just like workers, pleasant to be around and just, you know, contributors. 
Because we all have those people that are like great fishermen, but then it's like comes time to split the bills up and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. So putting putting together a great crew is like, you know, I used to run the Under Armour demo boat with this dude named Arik Bergerman, who is from the Israeli defense. Every dude on that boat was a Marine. And what was really interesting about the way that they would attack a tournament is everyone had a job. The jobs don't all overlap. Do your job. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and it's really interesting approach because it's like, listen, I don't have enough time to make food. I don't have enough time to ice boat. I don't have enough time to do that shit. Just let me focus on my shit. Let the captain focus on his shit. Mm-hmm. You need those workers, those guys behind you that can carry the load that makes the trip doable. Who else would I take? (laughs) (laughs) So we got Lou, Mark, uh, Mike, you said? Mike. Mike. Mike Fury. For me, you know, Michael Grant, my my Grant's my photographer, my co-writer on everything. You know, we've kind of, you know, been best friends for 20 years and you know, you reach a point in this, in your fishing life where it's just like, okay, you're getting better, you're getting better, you're getting better. And then all of a sudden it takes off because you're, you're doing it with the right people. For me, Mike is like that dude who is like the utilitarian, whatever you bring, he's going to bring like five suitcases of shit with like something for anything that could happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like anything, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. But you know, like you guys pack for trips, you know, oh, yeah. get your shit. You go tuna fish and you get hooks, rubber bands, yeah. whatever. Right. You always have like a whole mate's. You know, Arsenal. Dude, his, do his Arsenal is fucking retarded. It's a tackle <laughs> you know what I mean? They're biting Rapala X traps. I brought 12 in every column. They're like, yeah, Mike. You know, what are they biting on this? Like, All right, Mahi, what do you Mike's want to catch got it. On? Mike's yeah. got it. I like you just open right? up that bag and he's got leader in every size, swivels in every size, backup crimps, backup crimpers. Like, you know, that kind of person in a crew is crucial because it's like, like I said, you know, getting back to all these different techniques, you know, uh, you know, on that jig bite, Mike busts out of bags. Like, what color do you want? <laughs> literally got fucking bags of shit. You're like, Give me yellow and blue. <laughs> Pulls out five different sizes. What size what shade, do you want? What shade yellow do you yeah. want? Do you want, just, do you want like a banana yellow or do you want like chartreuse, a chartreuse yellow? Yeah, you guys what know what black? it's like. You know, oh, yeah. it doesn't matter what you do. You know, fuck. I mean, they're not biting the dock today. Yeah. They're biting, I don't know, some obscure lore. Yeah. He's got 10 of them. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, amazing. you know, when you're packing the boat up, it's like, what the fuck is all this shit? Yeah. And you put it away and you, I can't tell you how many times some shit, you know, you get a tangle, right? Captain makes a turn, whatever, something happens, makes a a turn to avoid something, collision with something. All right, whatever. Shit gets tangled up, comes in the boat, five rods out of the spread. Well, now what? Yeah. You got to re-rig real quick. Uh, You know, just being able to be on the fly and, I always find my, my best days of fishing always at some point in time have some major fucking obstacle that we have to get over <laughs> Dude, mentally. Every, we say this all the time. Like every yeah. podcast. Like, if you're not like – well, with giant fishing with us, if you're not like pissed off at something, something isn't Probably going not gonna happen. perfectly smooth, you're either going to – if it's perfectly smooth, you're definitely going to hook a fish, but you're going to lose it or you're just not going to hook a fish at all. Yeah. Yeah. If it's if it's catastrophic or like that day we broke down and drove all the way to the bank, all the way back home from the bank, and then drove all the way back out to the bank, 
And then caught the only tune. On caught the, the only tune on the bank at like forty bucks. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's Murphy's law. Yeah, it really is something fucking absolute farted has to happen on the boat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Lining the prop, some shit. You spend thirty minutes getting it out, and yeah. everyone's like, "Fuck this, let's go home." Yeah, it's like, no, that was your best day. Yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah. you overcame Always. the obstacle. Totally. It is. So just you know, mentally being able to just 20. know that this is coming, and at some point down the road, we're going to be bailing water out of something. So you got three people, <laughs> right? We got three. Uh, he's at. Himself, you. Lou, Mark, Mike. I think we're at celebrity angler at this point. And one other person. And one right? other person. Celebrity angler. This I can't pick one. I, I'm bad I mean, with dude, it. Larry Dahlberg would be pretty badass. Larry Dahlberg. I consider him a celebrity angler. Yeah, for opinion. sure. I mean, he, he would, he's what started really like making tackle for me, honestly. I'd like to take Ken Frazier to the canyons. Oh, dude, that'd be sick. Yeah. You know, you know what's hard. really unique about um, like what you guys have going on? You need to go to iCast. And yeah. you need to just like walk bite, up to all these people. So many times. Just, just, you know, like all these guys are at iCast. If they're anybody, they're there. Right? Yeah. Here's who I am. Here's what I got going on. Yeah. Do something. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's. I wish it was in July. I know it's tough. It sucks, but it is it's what it is. Worst I mean, time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the show. If you want to be any, you know. Phrase this the right way. If you want to be sponsored, yeah, by anybody or anything, or if you feel like you're worthy enough to, you know, what makes you sponsorable? What are you doing? How are you advancing yeah. the sport? How are, how can you help us? Mm, right. Um, what shops do you influence? Um, that's 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 the show. Yeah, that's the yeah. pinnacle of it all. Is that place and being able to network and Three days. as far as yeah. gear and. Yeah, go to the Costa sure. party. Right. Yeah. You know, they're all going to be there. Yeah. And you all have something to talk about. And guess what? You all have a passion. And yeah. that's the common thread. And I guarantee you, most of the dudes that are doing that stuff there are going to want to come and do that stuff here. Mm. And the stuff that, you know, that we do here, you know, I talk about the Bahamas and stuff. It's like, that's how those doors open up. That's the venue that it all happens. Mm. So um, celebrity angler. Yeah. Larry, Larry's definitely you know, I was thinking more sports person, but oh, it could be anybody. Yeah, it could be anybody. Um, you just talk so so highly of him; he'd be cool. I love the fish with him too. I'd uh, like to take Theo Vaughn out on a trip. Oh, I don't know if you've seen him. His stand up, he is just unbelievable. Probably Dave Chappelle. No, I know who it would be. For me, it'd be Billy Strings. Billy Strings. Billy Strings. Who's Billy Why Strings? I, I should know. know, and I don't. Neither of us know Billy Strings. You guys like the dad. You like uh, he's. Oh like, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. Billy Strings yeah, yeah. is a guitar player. Yeah. He uh, he uh, loves bass fishing, and uh, you know we were, we were at a show, and and my sister in law is like, "Oh, wouldn't it be great if you could take Billy?" And I was like, "I don't think Billy's going to handle what we do." <laughs> <laughs> but to boil it down, you know, we have an operation in Florida where, on the Florida side of things, when we get blown out on trips, Michael, you know, one of my best friends, writing partner. He's got an operation in the backyard where we do peacock bass, clown knife, largemouth, snakehead. Um, you know, and it's like mm. a sick day of like, you know, sometimes the best days of fishing aren't like these hardcore trips. They're just like laid back, have some nice food, you know, yeah. we put some barbecue on. Right. And then we go bass fish. And we always, you know, we sounds perfect. Yeah, but it's not live, it's not uh it's not like dead bait traditional bullshit. Like we go out there, 12 foot cast nets, massive live well black this thing out and it's like we're live chumming peacocks 
where it's almost to the point where it's like stupid, you know, it's like 50 (laughs) fish days per person. Wow. And you're just like, yo, flinging them under the dock. I'm tight. That's awesome. It's so much fun, but it's such a rad way to have a lay day fishing trip. We've been doing not barbecue, not clown knife, not barbecue, but one of kind of our fisheries that we've become obsessed, obsessed with for the fun factor and just the laid backness is, uh, shad fishing around oh, here oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, american, american shad. shad so we actually one of the little tributaries that leads to the north river is like five minutes away uh-huh. and um i'm not giving the exact spot but uh we just there's it's like small. there's it's like 20, five of us that have been doing it please yeah. tell me you bring those for stick baits <sighs> we can't Kill keep them. them but they would be the most amazing <laughs> we know people that baits. have used them yeah looks like a it looks Ma- just it's like, like a, a four pound herring basically but it's poor man's tarpon. You're waiting. It's at night. Like everyone's just like shooting the shit, ball busting. Like you're lucky if you hook one a night, you know? 500 casts. 500 casts. You hook one a night. Some nights you get four bites. You know, it's just sometimes like like you're saying, like you just need to take, you put so much extra 20% in all the time. And not that you don't on those fun trips. But We're still trying really hard oh, to catch oh, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, very competitive. Right. But it is nice to kind of have that like decompressed sort of day or tide or a couple hours fishing when you know your pinnacle is trying to catch a 700 pound swordfish in 2000 feet of water which requires the most insane logistics possible it's nice to just be like everyone meet at nine bring a couple beers one rod and let's go yeah no pressure no pressure you know one of my favorite things in the whole world to do right is like get my car and just drive around and hit different spots, checking different, especially when I'm like looking for bait. Mm-hmm. Like this whole fall when we were just, it was all about the bluefish. Mm. Robbie and I were talking about this. We had this project coming up with this cool company that's going to be making a product that's definitely going to be awesome for people that like the giant tuna fish, right? And get in my car and just driving to beaches, driving little estuaries, looking for bluefish, having a tank in my back of the truck with a bubbler, like, Popping bluefish, putting them in the tank, transporting them to a holding tank. Like, fucking stupid. But it's like, for me, it's like, you know, how deep are I don't you think willing it's stupid. to go? <laughs> how there. deep been are there. you willing to go for this? Yeah, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you need it. That's the only way you're going to get bit. Yeah, yeah. Man, It's the only way you're going to get bit. It's the only way you're going to be able to pay to go out to fish to get bit. Have like with the pogies and stuff, selling them, trading them, getting information. Like, those, those crazy extra effort adventures pay off way more than you think. Yeah. You know? That's the difference between, you know, yep. being good and being really, really, really good. The elite and the special. Exactly. Extra. Totally. So you can't keep, so Robbie and I were catching like hickory shads. You, you can, can keep, keep hickory those. shad, I believe, but you can't keep American shad. Like the, yeah. I believe they mingle and they mix when they're in the ocean, but then they, you know, come up river and spawn up here they're not eating anything you're literally do they have like a do they have like a root beerish tint to them they're all are they just real silvery they look very just just like, like a herring just huge <laughs> yeah their mouths are the same you gotta use like i did a no drag i did a tail print for robbie and it's got a hickory shad and a and a and a and a uh and a tail and i remember that trip we were um we were out fishing the Cape and like he opens up the live well and of course it's like, what baits are you going to pick? You know, you got a mackerel, you got 
bunker, you know, you, yeah. you know, and of course that motherfucker just is like, oh yeah. That's like an average size. One, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Imagine that on a stick as a I mean, stick bait. You can, like, you yeah. get, you're catching them this big. You could put like 12 ounces of lead, have no lead on the top shot. Like it would be ridiculous. I know. Yeah. People have caught them on them. Yeah. Um, I, 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 we I, have never killed one. Nope. I, um, brought back all these tanks from Florida, like a, 30 gallon, 60 gallon, 100 gallon, 200 gallon. Um, Because I was going to tell you guys, we we're talking about that lake behind the house. Mm. Like me and my kid, we used to have this lake behind our house in Florida. And like we would go and it's totally illegal. <laughs> let's talk about it <laughs> no you just you stock the lake you know yeah. what I, mean? I mean they have lake Someone stock, stock program lake. yeah yeah. Right? yeah i didn't do it but i watched people do it yeah <laughs> but you know put peacocks and bass and clown knives in a spot and you know they feed and they grow and it, you know turns into something yeah it turns into a little ecosystem yeah it's really cool stocking projects but those transfer tanks are like you know, it's amazing when you can, uh, like, go pop some bluefish or, like, this big yeah. somewhere. Go put them in the back of your truck in a tank. Bubble them to the water. Yeah. Put them in the water. There's a and massive now business that no one does. There is. In Florida, it's huge. Just getting... Well, 120 bucks Florida, a dozen. I'm just talking about the Northeast and even Mid-Coast. Like, bait? Just yeah. bait. I mean, there's a huge opportunity. You got to have a lot of money to get going with the right trucks and tanks and all well, that. You got to go all in right off the rip to be able to You can provide. make some serious, serious money figuring out, you know... Imagine being able to pull up and selling bluefish from Maine all the way down to, I know, you know, Rhode Island. Yeah, you we, need like a tank or, or herring. Out. I don't know if you can sell herring. No, I, yeah. I don't think you can possess but mackerel. You probably can. Me and my brother one time for a tournament, we uh, got some blue runners in Palm Beach, put them in a U-Haul trailer and tanks, covered the tanks in ice, and drove them to Beaufort, North Carolina, for an SKA tournament. I think it was like seven hundred miles, something. <laughs> In a fucking U-Haul truck. And they lived. So we get to this tournament and like we back up in the U-Haul truck and everyone's like, yeah, what's up? So what, what do you guys got for baits? There's no fucking baits here. We're like open the U-Haul truck and there's like bubblers going. With fucking baits. <laughs> like, you guys are fucking out of your minds, right? <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Dude, what a motherfucker. We had to like five gallon buckets of water into the boat. All the valves shut off so that yeah, all the baits same were water. Trans- same water from Palm Beach into the tank of the boat and we couldn't open it up till we were out into the ocean. And then we ran from Beaufort, North Carolina to Jacksonville to go fish for 40 minutes. Like, did you still have a lot of bait or did a lot of di- a lot of it die no off? man but that's the kind of shit you know it's like at the next level kind of People shit think, where it's like how yeah. serious are you willing to take this yeah <laughs> what's the boundary there are none okay we're going to fish from north carolina to florida it's for 40 minutes yeah to catch that fish to come back and win this tournament right i'd that's love to awesome. take some of the florida baits and just try them here one thing just now we're on the topic of baits in florida and tanks and stuff um Joe brought a chemtainer up here. Oh, good. Um, well, I'm referring back to last oh, year. Yes. Those things yeah. holding pogies or anything, it is unbelievable how much better it is. So there's something that's coming out. Uh, we've been working with a company and they're working on doing that. It's going to be very similar. It's very exciting. I'll call you guys. I'll share it with you when it comes out. Or I'll cool, share, awesome. You know, but um, those chemtainers, they sell them 400, uh, they're, they're about 400 bucks a chemtainer. White, you got to drill them. Yeah. It's 250 gallons with the two four coal bottoms. Yeah. 
Dude, that shit is. It's unbelievable. It builds up that tiny little algae layer. And like you put pogies in a metal, you know, a metal cage, you'll get 12 hours before they start rubbing their noses off and turning red. You put them in a container, like weeks and weeks, and they're still green back. You open it up and they it's come like back. they're dark. Like, the holes reheal. It's insane. For tournaments, this is kind of like, I don't know, guys, don't, they don't do it here, but down there, like the X factor with the baits, it's like you catch them like weeks before the tournament and you're curing the baits. So what happens when you put the baits in the containers, their tails shrink, they get extra slime and they get trained to swim in a circle. They get a little softer, a little gummier, a little more hardy. Hmm. But you know. The tail shrinking is interesting. They're not having to ex- like use it as much why maybe. Tail? Is it not made? fighting the current. Probably a lot of reasons. They shrink in captivity. I mean, they get fat, real slimy. Interesting. It's going to be some interesting things that are going to happen this year. Which slows them down, right? Uh, I always like to, you know, um, one one thing I definitely do is you, you have plenty of bait, especially if you're bass fishing, right? If you're bass fishing and you're using live pogies, clip the tails off. Yeah, we do yeah. the same. Just n- not like in the meat, but just the actual yeah. Bone. The feather part. Yeah, because then he's like, he's trying to move and he can't really move that fast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mackerels too. Yeah, we do a mackerel. Yeah. A lot of times we're fishing dead and live bait and you got, you know, the, the bait just wants to swim and tangle all your shit. We mm-hmm. clip, you know, we clip the, the liveies and we don't really do it with tuna fishing. Sometimes with like bluefish. Yeah. But or two, two bluefish. Doesn't floaters, really seem to matter. You know, read the situation, you know? Yeah. Um, It's awesome. I think we should this just. Could, this could be bad. We could talk for like I think we hours. should just go into uh, what you have going on. Just kind of circle back to your, the lodge and the bed and breakfast and All right, talk so about what, anything you want to promote and talk about. So what we got is uh, we got a little spot called the Gilded Crab. It's um, at its heart, it's an Airbnb. Okay. The guests that stay, our usual booking is a minimum of five days. The guests that are there for the five days have the option to add on all these fishing trips. So this is in Bristol, right? This is in Rhode Island. Bristol, Rhode Island. So there's a few times of the year where we kind of highlight, um, like these are the best times for bass. These are the best time for fluke. These are the best times for tuna. Mm-hmm. Um, on the tuna side of things, I'm more partnered up with Robbie and Lou, you know, just because of the limitations with my boat, but. You know, doing most of the stuff that we're going to do inside of Narragansett Bay, going clamming, fluking, sea bass, lobstering, um, mansion tours, stuff like that. All the guests can add that stuff onto the trip. We have a chef. Uh, at night, we do fly tying, gayu tacos, poker. Um, That's really cool. cool. So it's kind of an all inclusive deal. Yeah. But at its heart, it's all about the house. So, um, the house books five days. Everyone can add these things on as they want. Or, you know, I always find that uh, it's great when you have guests that come for a period of five days because, you know, sometimes you might get a weather window. Sometimes you might not. What are your backup plans if you don't have a weather window? Yeah. You know, and I also know that a lot of charter boat captains juggle, you know, you get a customer, they come on the boat for the day. Um, and now you're dealing with phone calls for the next charter for the next day while you're fishing with your other, it's just a clusterfuck Mm -hmm. in that short amount of time where you're managing a lot of different things, 
weather cancellations, boat issues, drama, can't make it, whatever. You know, we want to make it all about that experience where it's more about bring your family here, make them comfortable, give them something to do. What do you want to catch? Let's pick the best weather window. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're all about there. Um, and it's worked well for us. I mean, we were super happy with last year. Um, this year, I think it's going to be even better. We have a booth at the RZA show, which is at the Providence Convention Center, the Rhode Island Fishing Show. I'll have the boat, the boat there, and we'll have a booth for the lodge. So we're really looking forward to that. That boat's just a badass little thing. That thing is sweet. Oh, man, it's so cool. So unique, so different. What length, what length Ross boat is it? So it's a 24, and I stretched it 30 inches in the back. But I have to say, you know, for a boat that's just sub 30, I mean, I took that boat with my 10-year-old and my 75-year-old dad, you know, just under 300 nautical miles on seven-day trip, and we slept on the boat the whole wow. time. So, you know, I'm looking at other boats, like these 34, pick your make and model a down east boat. It's like one, two bunks in the front, a little more room in the helm, and you're in a 34-foot boat. I'm in a sub-30-foot boat. I got a bigger cockpit and a bigger, you know, sleeping area than and most you're more of these economical. other boats. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking three gallons to the mile. I'm sorry, three miles to the gallon. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, can get in some skinny water, can go in some deep stuff. So it's a, it's a, it's a super neat little boat. It's fun to be able to build it. Louis did the fotique on it. <laughs> Um, and the transom and the helm pod. That's cool. And then we did all uh, Humminbird Electronics, which... Um, that yeah. stuff's sweet. I've seen it a lot. Yeah, a lot of these offshore guys don't understand, like, side scan technology is the way of the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we the have other thing, a little boat. It's like, how, ma sick. how many days that you're tuna fishing where you're sitting there and you're looking at your drift and you're like, point one, point two, turn the trolling motor on and just like move the move the boat around yeah you know robbie always says he's like i'm gonna put this thing in the water you watch they're gonna come and eat this prop yeah you know because it sounds like, it's totally. like low frequency oh, we uh we put one of those rodans on the line shy this past game changer it's insane we had game changer. speaking to the noise part <laughs> one of the first days grease calm like not a ripple high sun not the best tuna conditions Poking around a couple spots, I ended up I'm like, ah, be decent bait here, middle bank. So I dropped the spot lock and I'm sitting there. And all of a sudden we see this minky whale, like, I don't know, half mile, quarter mile, you know, shows himself, shows himself, makes his way to us. And just the, the trolling motor, two hours, I think. All around us, rolling his belly, yeah. the trolling motor. I'm like, if this doesn't make us sound and look like a whale, I mean, like, call me crazy, but that's what it seems like. Yeah. And sure as shit, that thing was fucking awesome tuna fishing this year for the, you know, for that reason, for not having to deal with wind against tide situations, yeah, for not having to deal with any sort of swing on the edge, mm -hmm. like, Busy days, commercial days, you know, everyone shows up. You're kind of, you know, predicting where your swing's going to be, when you're going to be in the bite zone. With that thing, it's like you're the bite you zone be all in day. the bite zone. Like the herring shifts five feet on the edge. Like, let me put up a little bit. All right, there it is. Back on it again. You're with it the whole day. It's yeah. in, it's insane. It's, it really that, is. That that That's where, uh, in my opinion, that's like the next major paradigm shift in our yeah, industry. Yeah, yeah. More boats having trolling motors. 
more boats having side scan, and in the you know in the big format, more boats having sonar. Mm. Mm. Sonar is insane. It really is. I mean, it isn't. It isn't. You know, you can have sonar, but if you're not in the fish, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah but once you're on the fish, it is nice to know did they fade left? Did they fade right? Or are they steadily moving west to the next canyon over or whatever? You just can eyeball the whole biomass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know. It doesn't make you amazing no. just by having sonar. No. Still got to have a good day. And you still have to master it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like anything. Like, you don't, it's not just plug and play. Like, you got to fi- see what you're looking at, get used to what you're looking at, trust it. Yeah. You know, all those things. The bed and breakfast sounds sick. The lodge sounds awesome. That's a great idea. Yeah. Awesome, awesome idea. We have our second one. We're just kind of waiting to launch that until we get through this season and figure out some logistics. Do we need another boat? How there's just so many moving parts to it all. But at the end of the day, it's here's a great spot. Here are all the cool things you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, give me or Liz a call. We'd be happy to book some dates. Um calendar is filling up quick. But it's an awesome place to bring a family. Yeah. You know, getting groups together. It sleeps 10. So a wow. couple families can come at a time and it's just awesome. You know, you can fish, you can not fish, you can do all the other fun stuff mm-hmm. if you don't want to do it. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, hopefully will be a heritage piece that we could pass down to the kids Yeah, and they can kind of grow up learning how to be part of a community and give back to it. And also, you know, learn how to host because I feel like. Just being a good host is a great quality in life. Agreed. Agreed. And adding that family feel and aspect to any fishery, like we've all been lucky enough to travel a lot of different places, but the places for me anyway, that like really, really stick out in my mind are the places where when you go there, like you're, you're part of it. Like you're not, you know, you're not a guest, like you're a part of the crew. You're making the decisions on weather. You're understanding why you can and can't fish here because it's just, you're part of the whole entire experience. You're not just an angler, right? you know, like PEI. The first thing most people say when they come back from that place isn't the fishing was amazing. It's the, the people. people were amazing. Right. Yeah. You know, the food that's really, you know, maintaining that consistency and like running with that idea behind your business, I think is brilliant. Yeah. You know, it's been a fun adventure. It's cool. So I'm, I'm all in on it. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> you know, nice. Love to have you guys up there. Oh yeah. I'd love to, I've never fished down Rhode Island and no. that neck of the woods. I haven't caught, I pers we caught them last year, but I personally haven't landed a 50 pound striper oh, in my man. life. They're there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Back bait. How do you want to catch him? Kite? (laughs) Plug? That would be fun. Live bait? Spoon? I I love kite. We have kite fish for bass up here quite a bit. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. It is. It's tricky by where we live just because of the birds. The ospreys are so bad. Yeah. Now those bald eagles. You got to be like out next to the three-mile line, like offshore bass for it to like to really be effective. You try to do it in the rocks, you're just going to get frustrated. Yeah. Um. That's awesome. Anything, anything else? Anything else you want to plug? Want to plug or? Nah, man. I mean, you know, come down and see us at the lodge. We're uh, we're open for business. We're super stoked to have this year. We've got a lot of huge upgrades. You know, media room this year. That's cool. Which is going to be super awesome. And um, you know, we'd love to have you guys. And uh, you know, I'm easy to find on social. Seth Fun on Instagram. Um, probably the best way to find me. And uh, if you have questions or if you're headed to a location, 
you want some recommendations on some good spots to hit or, uh, you know, any questions about the boat, the lodge or anything we discussed today, feel free to reach out to me. I'm pretty easy to find. And other than that, you know, it's always great just meeting new people and yeah. talking about what we love. Absolutely, man. It was Keep a, it up. I mean, you guys rock. Thanks. Yeah, no, we appreciate it. It's been, been a lot, fun. lot of met fun some awesome doing people. it. It's our pace, too. The schedules, you know, fits the charter, yeah. fishing lifestyle and schedule. So it's, you know, we love, like, sharing other people's stories. And even though you say, I'm not an educator, you really are an educator. You know, you just don't consider yourself one, but speaking of that aspect of it's fun. What, what other shows uh, are you doing this winter? Like seminar type things. Are you doing any? I know you did Damon's last year. Uh, I didn't do Damon's. You were, um, th- we were at there. Damon's. Yeah. You're at I showed up, dropped off some leaders and split. Oh, gotcha, okay. gotcha. Gotcha. Damon. Uh, so that's a really good question. I mean. Or maybe you're road, not. Maybe you're just chilling. The Rizza show is definitely going to be, you know, this year is going to be all about the lodge. This year, for sure, is going to be all about yeah. um, building that up to the next level. Because yeah. I think there's such a need in our community for um, more stuff like that. I did that trip to PEI. And when I went up there, it was like chef, house, but everything was taken care of. It was just such a mind blower. I was just like, man, this would be so cool. But I would want to. The only way I'm going to get away with this is if I can bring my wife and kids. Yeah. So this year is really going to be mostly about doing stuff to promote that. And I think, uh, you know, the Rizza show, uh, definitely all the boat shows, you know, the big one, Miami, Palm Beach, and then I'll do uh, iCast. And uh, who's, who knows? You know, we'll see. I mean, there's a couple of other... You're Cats busy. that I run. You with. are doing quite a few little shows then. Uh, yeah, you know, another big responsibility for me is just being field tester for Shimano. So all their yeah. new product coming down the line is they give me the product and it's like try and destroy this. Yeah. And so we're always trying to put that equipment in unique environments where we can fuck it up hmm. to figure out if there's design for How to break it. Yeah. You know, we have a great fishery for it. That's for sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Big fish, diverse, casting, jigging, trolling, pretty much the whole arsenal you're putting to the test. Yeah, in fish a short are, amount of time, too. Yeah. Yeah, the fish aren't changing in size. The tackle is, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's getting smaller, smaller and smaller, and, smaller and, and the smaller. fish are staying. I'll stick, with my one, I'll stick with my 130s. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't want no business, no part of a 100-plus incher on anything less than that anymore. I did it one time. That's it. Everyone says that. <laughs> it is cool fun the one time. If man, you like your feet. And your knees. Five gallon buckets of concrete. And then you just want to like be in a wall sit for like three hours and then like try to walk around with those buckets of concrete. Like that's the best comparison, I think. Like the pinwheels at the end on a big tuna and stand up, no thanks. Yeah, you're talking like 600 plus. Yeah, I'm talking like a real, real. You know, fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) We get so many people like, I mean, it's understandable, you know, like they want to jig one. Yeah. Or like they're just very, you know, by the book IGFA, like, why are you fighting them out of the rod holder? Like, that's not a real way to fight. I'm like, okay, fight one stand up. Then come talk when the rod holder complains about fighting them. You know, it's a substantial (laughs) animal because it's making noises the whole time that's scaring you, you know, 120, 150. 200 that's kind of like my favorite size same yeah. 70 inches on like 50 class stand up Perfect. on live oh, posts. so much fun awesome yeah giant tune on spin tackle first of all it's very very taxing on your body but second of all it's not good for the fish yeah no 
Those fish don't have a high mortality rate. No, no, not when they're fighting four or five. It, it's just not. It's not. It's not sustainable. No, it's not. Not that long. No, no. Shouldn't have to fight the fish for more than an hour or no. two at max. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Exactly. I don't care how big it is. I hundred percent agree with you. Yeah, Especially we, when you're doing it for sport. Yeah, I was talking to a guy. Even commercially, like, like if you're not yeah. done in if 90 he's on the radio like, and he's like, we're, or ha- three, or close. we're three hours into this thing, I'm like, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And in very, very, very rare circumstances, you'll get one that's just like hooked in the tail or, you know, something nuts where it's just like totally unpredictable. Yeah. But for the most part, it should not be this two hour, 45, 28 minutes. pounds of drag, you know, bullshit. 52 pounds. Let him, let him, let him. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. 52 is a sweet spot. Yeah. Break him. Oh, well, that's awesome. Um, well, Seth, it was awesome yeah, to have you fun. here. Thank you for driving yeah. up. We'll do it again. Um, I'm glad we finally all got to like actually have a conversation. It wasn't like a five minute like high bye. Um, it's way better to do it in person. I think there's way more. Agreed. Human element to the uh, experience when you can talk to people face to face. Yeah. Totally. Um, so if you ever get the chance and you're ever blessed to be invited up here to hang out with these two dudes, um, it's a great drive. It's a great spot. It's a great conversation. It's just everything's next level when you're face-to-face. So Appreciate cool. it. Appreciate Gentlemen, that. thank you. It's yeah, fucking thanks. Awesome. Thank you, man. Um, with that said, we're going to leave you on our father's three words of fishing wisdom. Remember, you can't catch them if you don't have a hook in the water. Always trust your instincts. And the last one, you'll just have to keep listening. Stay tight, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guest, products that we use, or other podcast partners, please check out the description for this episode on our website, seabrosfishing.com. For information on our tail and fish artwork commissions, or to order our hats and other products, please check out our website or shoot us a message on Instagram. Make sure you check out our YouTube channel, give it a like and subscribe. And finally, if you want to book a fishing charter with us on one of the Mass Bay Guides boats, please visit massbayguides.com and call the office to book a trip. We appreciate you all.